0: Hey there, Stephen. This is Inyash.
1: Hey, Inyash. This is Stephen. And we have two other guests with us. Uh, I guess, how do we pick who goes first? See, I guess this wasn't as easy as I thought. <laughs> Griffin,
2: <laughs> take the uh, wheel. Hi, I'm uh, Griffin. I'm a fan of the work. But I've actually read the whole Worth a Candle. So I'm, i am I got to team up with Inyash on this, on Not Spoiling Things.
3: Yes. And
2: I'm here with my fellow podcasting partner, Gorky, who we make
3: Shaping Exercises 101 with. Hi, I'm Gorky, and I'm also a fan of this work, but I haven't read it yet. I'm, I'm reading along with the podcast, and I'm enjoying
0: it a lot. And I do want to point out that Gork, if you, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've heard a lot of listener feedback from Koi. and uh, Koi is Gorky, who has had a very mysterious name change, which is going to you know confuse everybody and me for a while. But this is the new name. And also apparently the one true name, which we can now use to control you, right?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is, this is my true name.
0: Okay. So we have Koi who is now Gorky and shall be called Gorky for the rest of forever. Uh, and the one of the reasons they're here is because they're doing this other podcast which is like ours and we like them another reason is because they're both on discord and often active in the uh in the channel where we talk about worth the candle and a third reason is because gorky specifically said on more than one occasion if there is ever a retro episode i am just going to go crazy and read all of worth the candle all the way to the end <laughs> and i figured maybe if i got him on the retro <laughs> episode it would take up enough of his time that he would wouldn't be able to do that i
3: knew it i knew i was say oh my god that is so clever that's good that's good i think you you, you won not gonna read it awesome
0: my devious plan has worked again
3: <laughs> uh, i knew it Okay, so
0: this is the retro episode where we talk about basically everything that has come up to this point. And uh, that is part of the reason we have two new people on here, because Stephen and me have very much already talked about everything up to this point.
2: Okay, so you were talking earlier about how loud you could ever get. Let's see how loud I can get Inyosh. So Fenn sucks. Sorry. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh...
0: Okay, okay. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't know if we need to repeat that for the audience, so I'm just going to splice that in specifically if I need to. Wh- why would you say something so hurtful and so wrong at the same time?
2: You know, she sucks. I just wanted to mess with you, but <laughs> give me a second to make up a reason.
0: <laughs> I mean, do you actually think that Fen sucks?
2: I mean, she's like childish and a little annoying, but like I think it's in a fun, like she's fun.
0: Okay, like, I do not at all um, dispute that she is both childish and a little annoying, but uh, I think that makes her awesome and not sucky.
1: (laughs) This can just be the episode where we all argue about whether or not Fenn's cool.
0: (laughs) Well, it won't be a long argument because she is objectively cool. I think
3: Fenn's pretty cool.
0: (laughs) Whoever edits it will win. That's how we know. (laughs) Cut out all the other good
3: arguments. (laughs) No, Gorky, you were saying what? Sorry? Sorry, I was just saying that I I, I also think Fenn's pretty cool. All right. I stand sure outnumbered. It
0: has been decided. You should have invited Wes on if you wanted a, a ally in the anti fen camp. Okay. Well, as long what? as we're winning
1: arguments on oh, democracy, okay. are the puns in this funny or not in the
0: story? Damn you.
1: <laughs> Always funny. Yes. Um,
2: and I think I actually, this last week, I think Ineash, you guys were talking about like Grac's hand and Ineash wanted to change conversation. And he said, oh, well, on the other hand, and moved on to something else.
3: <laughs> and I
0: was like, Eniash is even... Eniash, that was a great pun. Yeah, you did a good job. <laughs> that was not a pun. I had no idea that I had punned anything, which means it wasn't a pun. It was just a normal expression. And you guys have this pun sickness in your brain that makes everything <laughs> a pun. Was well, speaking see, of you, if everything. If you said no
2: pun intended, then it wouldn't have been a pun. But
0: because you didn't, it was a pun. Now, if you say no pun intended, it draws attention to the pun equality. When, so I couldn't have said that because I didn't even know that there was a pun there because I'm not sick like you.
1: Speaking of everything being things, uh, Mm. we should mention, at some point, this is the podcast, Not Everything is a Clue, where this week we're talking about the entirety of the first five books of Alexander Whale's web serial, Worth the Candle. And we already talked about our our two guests here. Their awesome podcast covering um, the uh, Mother of Learning book is called Shaping Exercises. I'm very much enjoying that. It's great. Everyone should check it out. And all right, back to your regularly scheduled program. If this is your first episode, this is not your usual episode. So find one with <laughs> chapter numbers in it.
2: Okay. Do we actually know where we actually want to start, or just <laughs> other than just making fun of? Uh,
0: well, I mean, we've covered that. Fenn's awesome and, pen su- and puns suck. So I think we're pretty much done, and we can call it a call it an a <laughs> episode. Everybody. Uh, I I think uh, it would be interesting to talk about some of the changes um, from the very early chapters to where we are now. If people are interested in that at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm super into it. The main oh, things okay. I was,
0: you know, had in my mind to cover that I never got around to putting into
1: our shared note doc was you know, I want to touch on every character we you know, not every at least every companion we've met so far, um, and every uh like I guess major quests and benchmark kind of thing, but those can go by really fast. Mainly I want to talk about like the character developments and what we've learned
0: about everybody, um and how they've changed. So starting from the beginning sounds like an awesome spot to go. Okay. And I am also interested in like the, conver- the meta conversation about what this thing is saying about fiction in general, if anything, and uh, the expectations of readers and interactions with the author. But, um, you know, maybe that's for later on in the episode. And you, people who are more literate than me, will have to do the driving for that one. So, Okay. <laughs> um, I, I think you're plenty literate, Stephen. I read real good. So what I guess... Um, if we're going through with uh companions, we can start with the first one we meet, which is Amaryllis. Yeah, I mean uh sorry, what, go ahead. What what did you first think of her and how do you think she's changed?
1: What's fun about it is this you know, when we, we first started the book, it's you know, something's strange as a foot, everything's a video game, it's not there's no clear idea what the hell's happening. And you so thought we, she was an NPC. Yeah, I thought she was an NPC. I thought for the longest time that she might be, you know, this book's Voldemort. Um, I'm now less worried about her being this book's Voldemort. So that's good. Uh, spoiler, yeah. I,
2: curl is Voldemort.
1: Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to just do the, the quick back and forth. Well, let's, I'll let everyone chime in. You guys just, we'll talk over each other a whole bunch. Have fun.
3: Yes, I think
2: Mary, let's whatever we're calling her. Um, I think what's kind of interesting about her is she starts off as like a badass combative person because that's what they need—the skill set they need. The two of them is kind of this. They need they need a warrior, and June's the child to kind of learn the world. But as the time goes on, her role is definitely shifted. Right, she's management logistics. I mean, now she had a child, but that's kind of been a weird kind of one-off thing. We expect. Um but her role is constantly is like constantly shifted away from as they got more combat oriented people that combat's like not her area of expertise anymore.
0: Was it ever? I mean, I guess she made the um the void rifle, but she I don't think she was like very combat y at first, was she?
2: I think so. I think she, she's like making the gun and then she recruits June and the rapist guy, and then she shoots the rapist guy, whatever his name was. Um, and then they they go to the city and she's like set up fortifications and so she has some guns and she's pointing in the hallway, like ready to kill anyone who comes by this in June. Like she's clearly like an equal on combat with June at that point. That's how we're supposed to read it. Right.
1: Maybe. I think in the early story, she was emphatically he, there. He has this line when they're crossing the desert with he, uh, June, Fen and Amaryllis. And he's thinking my companions are higher level than me. Um, I think in the early part of the story,
0: Fenn and Amaryllis could have kicked his ass. Definitely Fen. Amaryllis, do you think? I don't know. See, it's been... I, June has gotten so powerful, I almost have a hard time remembering how originally he was swinging a uh, a postcard holder thing and it broke <laughs> after two hits. Do you, do you remember how Amaryllis took down an eight-foot giant with uh, basically
1: no hands? What?
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I do remember that. All right. Yeah, that's true. She's yeah. kind of a badass, isn't she?
1: I think that woman could have destroyed our young protagonist before he had dumped a bunch of points in practice into physical combat.
2: Yeah. So they take turns watching, like doing like lookout that first like night. And June is just like goofing off. And she clearly took her like, Oh, I'm a combat person. It's my shift. Like we assume she took her shift very seriously and was like, you know, being like a professional soldier. And he was just dicking around. And Gorky, I know you're, you're just nervous about this and I'm just naturally not a very nervous person. So I've jumped right in. If
3: you're, Feeling pushed out, yell! Yell things! Jump in! Oh, I—that's uh, true. I haven't said anything. Uh, I also think uh, she has been a badass from the beginning. I mean, when we meet her, uh, she already had like plans in motion. She—I uh, think she was going to, she was already going to fail seed on her own to grab the teleportation key, and uh, she didn't know June was coming. So she, she already had that. Uh, she was already prepared to take that on alone and you know, she, she was going, was going where on her back? own wasn't it fell seed no because was... silmar city silmar city is that what it was
0: yeah. yeah it was just the the center of that exclusion zone which yeah was the city with the big uh big uh, skyscraper skyscraper in it not that big i guess like 30 floors
3: mm, like wasn't that the city with the necrotic uh field yeah yeah oh i thought that was fell seed
0: no, oh. I think Felseed is, like, a bigger thing that they keep talking about every now and then.
3: Oh, no, what? It yeah. is called Silmar
2: City, I, I guessed, right?
0: Yeah, Felseed is the, uh, the the terrible thing that he's
1: all bummed and scared about. That has something to do with, like, the Thousand Brides or something. And it was one of the things he felt bad about creating. All right, we had some fun technical difficulties. And the, uh, the audio should be clear for everybody. And the connection for everybody should be working. And just to make sure the mics are still working, and to get the conversation ramped up again, I need to tell everyone that I just saw Shang Chi and the Ten Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, like a couple hours ago, and it was awesome. And this isn't just this isn't just Marvel fanboying. I think that even if you're not a uh, you know, a Marvel, this felt least like like any Marvel movie of previous ones. It's changing the recipe a little bit. Feels like a different vibe. It was a good one.
0: Oh, nice. That's That's, it. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess um, taking back everything I said, yeah, yeah Amaryllis probably was just as badass as him at the beginning, and he's just skyrocketed in power lately. But she, like, badass in hand-to-hand combat, I mean, but, like, she's always just been a cold, stone-cold motherfucker and on top of everything. Like, I think I would rather have her on my side than anyone that knows any amount of combat because, you know, beating people up is not generally um, what matters nowadays. You You don't have to be scared of anyone... Anything that you can outsmart, and Amaryllis seems like she can outsmart most anyone. And she's unflinchingly pragmatic. Yes. I think hand to
3: hand combat uh, matters a bit more in Erb. What are you saying? Well,
0: yeah, definitely. But still, I think, I mean, aside from the fact that I just like Fenmorn and would rather have her around more, the uh, if, <laughs> if it was like down to survival thing, I think Amaryllis would be my first choice.
2: Uh, Does that tie us in perfectly yeah. to going on to the next companion and
0: talking about Fen? It sounded like Koi was about to, or Gorky was about to disagree with me.
3: Uh, No. Uh, I mean, yes, but not in any any way. Like, I would much prefer Amaryllis over Fan, anyways. But that's because, like, I just like Amaryllis more than Fan. Like, Fan is fine, uh, but Amaryllis is better. (laughs) What, what, I'm really curious what makes
0: people say that. I think, I think I can guess, but please tell me.
3: Uh, well. I mean, I don't know. What can you guess? I I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why you think. Yeah.
1: Sorry, what? I was going to say, I mean, if I had to list off a couple things, I, I like Amaryllis is serious. You can have a straight conversation with her. And like, I don't know, is capable of focusing on the task at hand with like the reliability that the situation might require. And yes, while Fen hasn't like dropped the ball and ruined the party, she's never convinced me that she won't. Whereas, like, I'm ready to put my life in Amarillus' hands, right?
3: Definitely, yeah.
1: yeah. I'm wondering yeah. if some of these
2: discussions we should have categories, like romantic partner versus teammate. Like, if there's, there's like, a disagreement on what you'd want for each of them.
3: Hmm. hmm. It seems like Fen would be a much better romantic partner, just because Amaryllis doesn't have any uh, romance, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you. Uh, I guess you can't discount that. I mean... Emerilus is indescribably hot, so... Um.
3: Ah, yeah. I, I know. I knew what was missing something. That that probably has to do with it. <laughs> I i don't know.
0: I've always had issues like having those being extremely separate categories anyway. Like, I prefer to have relations with friends than have, like, the separate, separate thing where, you know, there's a difference between friend love and romantic love, so they wouldn't be all that distinct. in in my opinion i think maybe that's another reason i like fen more she just seems like a more fun friend she would be fun
1: you could sit around and you know get drunk and play video games with fen whereas emerylis would you know roll her eyes at you for wasting time right yeah
2: i don't know. emerylis was inventing a tv i feel like she's actually like reasonably down to just do fun stuff she was like oh i'm gonna go through like the imdb top 100 movies she's trying to i think she's trying to have fun you guys are uh like underselling her on that.
1: No, I think she's doing that for for research purposes and like the engineering aspect of it. I think that if I was sitting in there while she's building her TV and watching movies, and all I was doing was whatever browsing right out on my phone, I don't know. I feel like I would feel judged. <laughs> she's like, look, I'm I'm in, I'm pushing Arab into the 21st century, and what are you doing? Oh, you're you're you know looking
0: at cat pictures. Great. I think feeling judged is a good thing sometimes. I go places specifically to feel judged, so I get stuff done. But, um, you know, I also have a well-known weakness for chaos, and uh, that's what Fenn brings to the table. So it's hard not to ante up to that particular hand. This, this, this metaphor is going really bad
3: places. And you also have to be the kind of person who thinks that building a TV is fun or interesting, which uh, is not a given. I mean, probably more so uh, within our group than otherwise. But uh, I can see how that's maybe not any uh, everybody's like idea of fun. I think we were having a discussion about that recently in the discords. Somebody said Amaryllis was just uh, a little bit too boring for most people. Probably. Uh-
1: <clears throat> it's interesting because like she's building a TV. Which yeah, if my roommate was building a TV, you know, I don't know quite how they work but because it's mundane science you know the the magic of earth it's like oh that's not that interesting to me if i was able to like cast a spell to make a floating orb of light i would i would be wildly fascinated with that even though light bulbs already exist here right so like her building a tv on air is way more interesting i think in the context of that you know being on air than building one here
0: like, I don't know, maybe this is a problem with me just having some kind of personality conflict with the Amaryllis type by itself. Because, like, I even think Grack is a far more interesting character. He's, like, he's dark and brooding and he doesn't talk much. He He's basically totally goth, right? He could be Angel from the Angel TV series. And I find him interesting as hell and I want to know more about him and you know the fact that he kind of avoids june and doesn't talk at, to him at all just makes him even more mysterious and i i i i would prefer grack to to Amaryllis even wow i don't know, as a as, a, that, as like a, wow. a shallow reader
2: because <laughs> grack doesn't talk all that much i feel like i slowly let him fade into the background in my head like he just, because he's not like actively like making emotional decisions and talking about it in my mind he just becomes wallpaper like slowly
3: hmm
0: Gorky, you had some big wows about that.
3: No, that is just incredible to me. I, I mean, Greg is just such a non-entity, really. I mean, maybe it's because of uh, we're we're getting June's point of view, and since Greg doesn't have any pets, he's probably not he's not getting much <laughs> uh, airtime. But
0: uh, I mean, I admit he doesn't get much airtime, but like he's mysterious and you see little glimpses of him being interesting when uh he drops hints or when he uh plays along with fen's stuff I'm, I'm i'm like there's there's more there and and like with amaryllis it just feels like i already know everything there and it's not all that interesting whereas with Grack it's like i i bet i bet he's got you know the world's most tragic backstory or or something he would totally put on eyeliner <laughs>
3: That is so interesting because it was my impression that you were super into the uh, strong, ruthless uh, type girl, woman. I, I mean, sorry. Uh, I'm I'm
0: definitely into the strong type. Uh, maybe ruthless too, but like, generally that comes with some sort of anger at the world and some self-destructive tendencies and things. Whereas Amaryllis doesn't have any of those. As far as I can tell, she's just sort of cold and ruthless. And, you know, I I like, I like the really fiery and ruthless. So if it's healthy, like extreme pragmatism, you're in, you're
1: in favor of it. But if it's like, no, I'm driven by my, by my tragic backstory, then it's, I mean, (laughs) that's what does it for you. Yes. I don't like healthy people.
2: (laughs) what does that say about steven
0: your good friend i hmm. i have never tried to date steven so probably not a problem or maybe steven's very sad that i haven't tried to date him and now he knows what he has to do
1: that's my damage we're in this weird paradox now (laughs) 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 we didn't didn't put together a script for this one everybody we're just we're we're free floating it and part of that's on me it's been a a busy couple days Mm -hmm. but they were fun my brother actually stayed over the last couple days um cool. it was a lot it was nice to we haven't hung out this much since at least pre-pandemic so um does he have any opinions on the matter on who's oh, i should have asked him he is on the parts so i i whenever i lent him the kindle some weeks ago he is when we were like so i drove him to the uh but there's a you know this is strictly denver knowledge you know so there's, there's a bus you can take from union station to fort collins for ten dollars I did not know that. That kind of blows my mind, because that is ridiculously... That's less than gas. Mm-hmm. All right, anyway, so I took him to Union Station, and he was at the part where the down-and-out was crashing, so...
0: Oh, he's really close.
1: He's ripped through this book. Um, I need to ask him who's the cooler companion, but I didn't yet, so... Ah, next time. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to think of just so- some of the big beats from the story. Like, everything is a weird video game. I don't know at what point for me it became apparent that things were more real, like r- real enough to matter, right? Yeah. Um, I, I so I'm, I'm through the story and just like cliff notes in my head, Uh, you know, escaping comfort, going to Silmar City, going to Baron Jewel, then Carlaga, then saving Amaryllis from the gold mage, then the unicorn, and then Solace. Then the prison. Oh, wait. Yeah, they got crack. All right. So I don't know. It just snuck in. There's, I mean, maybe it was the moment when he meditated and, you know, talked to uh, or like did his prayer to the DM while he was high on knowledge Um, that he's like, you know, please let everyone be real. That's like when I reassessed it for myself as well. Hmm. But like now I care if things happen to people. But, you know, in the first few chapters when like, you know, he was killing fire team Blackheart, yeah. I, I didn't have a- any compunctions about it. I'm like, yeah, I don't feel bad at, you know, when I'm playing, um, I don't know, Red Dead Redemption, and I have to shoot one of the O'Driscoll gang guys. They're not real; they don't matter, right? Interesting. I, I'd, I'd say for me, it's probably right around, make, maybe
2: mid to end of Baron Jewel, because we see some normal people, like, and that's the first time we—that's when we finally see normalish people, like, oh, the, like the tattoo guy and the bone mage. Like, that's the first time we meet just like regular people living their life, having a job. So that's probably the big changing point for me of, Oh, okay. This is like a real world with people in it who have
3: lives that matter. Hmm. Corky. How about you? Gorky. I, Jesus. I don't think that's happened to me now that I think about it. Like I care about Amarillis and Fen and grack and like the characters, but, uh, it's never come a point where uh, like, if, if he goes back and, uh, like, I don't care about him killing these, uh, the, the pink guys, what, what were they called? Uh, the Fuchsia Coterie. Ah, right. The Fuchsia. Uh, like, I don't think uh, it, that's happened to me yet. Like, I haven't had that moment of sunder for those characters. Like, obviously, you, I care about the, the story characters, like the side, the companions. Yeah. And you cared about Just them- like a video game. Like, you don't, I don't really care. Like, I, I still think of them, of the rest of the people as, uh, as I would other video game characters and uh, probably like other extras in a movie. Uh, Yeah. I think that's my vibe on
0: it too. I'm, I'm similar to Gorky where like, I never had a point where I started caring about things because I just did from the very beginning. Like I, 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 I don't know. Maybe it's because like, I read a lot of fiction, but it's just simply like you go in and you start caring about the, people right away as long as they're well written because otherwise you know why are you reading this thing it's it's there for the experience and you take it as if they're real like if you sit down and uh, and watch what was that thing you said the latest marvel movie uh shang chi and the legend of the ten rings shang chi and the legend of the ten rings like you sit down and you watch shang chi and his i don't know love interest or best friend or whatever and you just kind of care for them automatically even though you know you know their characters that some actors are portraying on a set with a bunch of green stuff behind them it's that that doesn't really matter and so for me it was like the same thing where i cared about everybody more or less as as i would expect like the fuchsia coterie were thugs whatever they die and i even if it was, like, written in June's hometown, you know, and some thugs came to attack his school, and he somehow, I don't know, got his hands on a gun that his teacher kept in the desk and shot them. Like, I would care about them as much as I cared about the Fuchsia Coterie, and and probably care about Amaryllis the same way. Like, it it didn't... The fact that it was a game didn't seem to make a difference to me because the characters were... written as well as any other book that I've read. It's it's really only when a book is written shittily that I'm like, I don't care about anyone in here because none of them feel like real people. That was me with uh The Dark Tower. Sorry for all
1: the fans. I know it's a good book. I just I couldn't get into it. Um so I I read almost all of the first book and I'm just like, this this is not my cup of tea. I don't care about anybody yet. And I've read hundreds of pages. Um I guess what I was saying was like my my attitude towards the the non-party members so like it's also noteworthy that the future coterie members that he killed you know future coterie member defeated future coterie maybe lieutenant defeated or something but they didn't have names like i assumed at the time that oh they're just invented on the spot they came in from off camera and that's when they came into existence and look that even shows it's their name their name is Vushokodri remember right
0: mm-hmm.
1: like they, they it's not like they were going to go home at the end of the day and talk with their friends because they just exist right here whereas like you know when he killed all those people all the all the tung soldiers on his way into uh Kumduna they all had names and yeah. you know like i don't i don't care about any particular one of them cuz i you know we never got to know them but like i actually feel bad about those murders
0: right those felt like he killed people. The other one is just like, oh yeah, you you shot some targets, right? To me, it kind of felt the same, except that yeah. the DM was trying to fuck with him. I don't know. What do you guys think, Gorky and Griffin?
3: It felt pretty much the same to me. Uh. I didn't have Stevens
2: read at the beginning that oh maybe this is like 100% a video game where these people aren't people. I always read it as he just has some video gamey style powers, but everyone else is still a person. And it wasn't until I listened to the first episode of the first episode of the podcast that I was like, oh. Stephen's read of this is a video game completely. These are nameless mooks felt reasonable. Like I didn't think of it originally, but it made a lot of sense when I heard Stephen pitch it in the first few episodes.
0: Yeah. That's fun. I look forward to rereading this eventually. It definitely makes a lot of sense because like, if that happened to me in real life, I might start thinking that same way too. You know, maybe Stephen's just better at thinking about like, Hmm, what if this was real life? How would, how would I react? Well, no, I mean, in, in,
1: in real life i think i'd like to err on the side of let's pretend let's at least treat everyone like they're real and sapient and matter right um you know if i'm if i know i'm playing skyrim i don't necessarily feel bad about rampaging my way through a town if i want to do an evil playthrough Mm. but i would feel bad about doing that in my hometown here on earth so uh and i should feel that way um yeah, I until know. I
2: was completely convinced like a rendering error or like low low poly count or something, until I was completely convinced it was like actually a video game, I would just keep
0: assuming they were all people. Do you I think, think that's the way we should behave in real life, just in case? <laughs> do you think that um June has has changed the way he interacts with the world based on based on what he's learning about it? Yes. I it seems so
1: anyway. Like I don't know if he's done it any like explicit behavior changes. Because he didn't do his, his looking at his character sheet with the high knowledge and praying to the dm until after they rescued amaryllis from the gold mage but before that when grac throws his axe into that woman's face in the hallway who just happened to be the enemy warder um he felt terrible about it right yeah but he he didn't He at that point he hadn't articulated the thought out loud to us anyway about i sure hope these are real people right Mm -hmm. Hmm. so you think he's more okay with throwing axes into people's faces now no, I think that he's uh, he's probably less okay with it, but he was already not okay with it before he explicitly laid out the idea that I want these people to be real.
0: I don't know, like, what did you think about his whole Batman turn when he tried to save lives, but then, you know, just seconds later, well, not seconds, but, you know, a chapter or two later, he's sending people to the hell in, in the dozens because they're in his way.
1: I mean, you know... He's got to get that sweet, sweet level. Right. <laughs> yeah. It sure is good. And this, this is, I, I'm, I'm glad this is a recurring beat, you know, because if, if his level up thing was is still his highest value, um, I think he would have felt great about killing. I, I mean, he might've had moral hangups about killing all those, those tomb, uh, soldiers, but I, I think that if he was like, I'm getting XP with every one of these, like that's, that's a scary spot to be in. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm glad I, I'm glad they're going to be hitting that beat going forward. But,
0: uh, what was the question? um i i guess i was just wondering like did his did his attempt to be batman feel genuine because i liked the additional challenge and maybe even the the fact that it crossed his mind but i mean he he can always justify his actions by like i have to save this locus it's one of the most important things in the world and if the tongue get in the way that kind of sucks for them but on the other hand just like seeing the mass carnage as cool as it was also It feels like he's growing sort of a a callous moral skin. I
1: think I think Arab is wearing on him for sure. Um, I think that uh, when in doubt or when you have the ability, try to follow the code of Batman. But sometimes things are just too hard for that. You know, if he had a disable spell for all of the the attacking soldiers when they're on the down and out, that would have been great. But he didn't. So he had to fight with lethal force. Uh, I fully believe that if he had a stun gun instead, he would have used that.
3: Yeah, I don't think he did anything uh that i don't i i think would have been unjustified in real life like uh, i don't think the fact that these people like whether these people are real or not it was really a factor there because he just he just did what he had to do i
2: think one question should be on this topic of now that, as people get more powerful, do we think it's more? I li- think it's likely he k- they kill more people, or they use their power to less lethally disarm people, right? Because to win a fight lethally is easier than winning it non lethally. So you need to be more powerful to do it. So is it? Do we think there is a possibility that as they get stronger and stronger and stronger, as he becomes more and more like a god, presumably, that he gets more likely to take people down without killing them?
3: Uh, well, he has right now like nine million people he has to kill. Uh, for a quest, (laughs) so I don't think uh, I don't think the kills are going down for now
0: Uh, Do you think he's going to kill all 9 million of them at some point?
3: uh, He might leave one or two for for (laughs) research purposes
1: (laughs) I'm really curious about the the Dorises, whether or not they're actually evil Um, You know, they're they're excluded, but as we kind of guess and was later more or less confirmed by the story, like exclusions are just people who found hacks or, or You know, cheese, you know, ways to cheese the game. And the DM/slash game designer was like, no, fuck it. You can't do that anymore. Right. So if Doris's only crime was self-replication, and, you know, now she just hangs out in her square of space that she's allowed in in, in the universe, um, I I don't think it's worth killing her. If she's excluded, you know, on the similar moral uh, spectrum as um, like Felseed, then yeah, go kill all of them. I think that's gonna be the big deciding factor. They're not gonna think I don't think they're, they're gonna kill her just because uh he's got a quest for it. If 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 it turns out that she's just this poor woman who accidentally discovered self-duplication.
3: Uh, I don't think if that was all the Westwood uh Amarillis' uh opinion of her would be so uh what it is. I mean she seems to think uh even uh talking to her is some kind of like unspeakable. Uh, like like treason almost so I think she must be pretty bad uh that's a fair point maybe it's, maybe it's not because of uh the duplication maybe it's just uh because she's also she also happens to be a bad person uh and and it's nine million of her uh so like maybe the like the exclusion doesn't have to necessarily uh be the cause of her uh what do you call it uh reputation but I definitely think there's something going on with her. Uh,
1: yeah. I think, I, I think it could be a bit of column a a bit of column B. Like I think that there's probably a very understandable um, suspicion slash default assess, assu- um, assumption of huge evil when it comes to excluded persons, because a lot of them are fell seeds. And uh, you know, so maybe, maybe it's like, okay, this person's excluded. They must be, they must be a monster. And like, that's just a known fact about nature. Or, yeah, she's done terrible, terrible things. So Wait, I want to defend excluded people really quick. So
2: <laughs> so clearly someone's stuck in a time loop for one month, and he's a great character, and we should all
1: read his story. <laughs> <laughs> There's also that guy that just got too OP at farming. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, we'll see. I, now that we have Valencia, who uh, Amaryllis was also uh, very against at the beginning, and now that she's become more uh, – she really likes her a lot. Uh, we'll see we haven't talked about doris afterwards so we'll see if maybe her change of heart towards valencia uh also uh included like uh, a change of heart towards other kinds of uh you know like excluded people even though valencia wasn't excluded but you know what i mean yeah that's I'm a really good
1: cu- point yeah i'm really curious how they're going to nerf her dementor powers that she can send out 100 tendrils Anywhere on Hell or on the surface of Erb, and like just eat somebody's soul. I'm pretty sure with her level twenty Dementor perk, she can eat people's souls now too. And so that would have made their climb up the uh, up of up
0: almond's Tower trivial, right? Yeah, but I I, I think she does not like eating people's souls. Sh- like she sure. doesn't want to be a Dementor, right? You know we
1: haven't we haven't seen her. Maybe should. Really, really enjoy the taste or something, but um, especially when she's telling she's read Harry Potter, she really won't want to be a Dementor. <laughs> yeah, we, she needs to read. uh I don't, Yeah, we, I think we tried to brainstorm that. There probably isn't one where the Dementors are the good guys, but there's probably one with some utilitarian thinking where she can get behind it. But if it's if she, if it is for the objectively greater good, she might agree. Like, hey, look, amaryllis is being tortured at the top of this tower. You know, we're gonna run up there and you know, try and chop them all to bits of the knacks, or you can save us the trouble and save them the suffering if you just want to snuff them out for us real quick, you know?
0: Yeah. To to Griffin's original question about like as they're getting more powerful, will they be getting less uh less lethal? Are you guys familiar with the uh the action movie sequels rule? It's I guess that that's not what it's called. But basically the thing is whenever you have a sequel to an action movie, the body count always has to be higher in the next one. <laughs> because you know sure. the stuff I've seen to John keep- Wick <laughs> yeah yeah stakes have to keep getting raised things have to keep getting more epic so i'm going to assume that no matter how powerful uh a protagonist gets in any book the challenges will keep rising to meet them and maybe like if it becomes important to keep people alive for some reason then i think it would become a major thing but otherwise like death is just it's dramatic it's important people feel death differently than than i mean that's why when you see a, a pg-13 action movie and there's no blood and everybody just gets knocked out and stuff you're like oh come on this is lame this is an action movie for children a little baby made this movie <laughs> so, <laughs> and so i wouldn't normally expect there to be less uh body count unless unless that becomes an important thing in the narrative itself.
1: Well, think about like the the future coterie folks in the first few chapters, and then those muggers after they went and had their date night. I uh, still can't
0: if, believe they didn't kill those muggers.
1: If they were at if, but if they're at the same skill and power level that they're at, at the beginning of the story, they basically would have had to kill those muggers because pulling your punches isn't something that you can really do when you're yeah. fighting for your life. But they were just like wiping the floor with these nerds. Right. So that seems to go in the direction that Griffin's question uh, suggested that like once once they get strong enough they'll kill more out of necessity than uh, um, just pure self-defense against any threat, right?
0: You know, there's no bones in the dick. I wonder if they could have healed his dick back if she did cut it off. <laughs> there's uh, there's skin and blood. Uh, yeah, still think she should have gone forward with that. <laughs> All right, we should settle that too. Also, what do you guys think? Um, um,
3: I was going to say, these past few chapters has, have also shown us that we can have some pretty intense and like uh, tense and intense moments without uh, a body count. Yeah. Like we haven't killed anybody in quite a while. And this has, this have, this have been some pretty intense chapters, especially uh, the, the few uh, last ones. That's
0: true. Valencia was badass as hell and managed to not kill a single person because she's just awesome like that.
1: And they, uh, you know, added to the number of people by giving birth to a new solace. And that was also stressful and awesome. Mm-hmm. Right, so I'm thinking about the, the argument that as you get more powerful, you don't need to kill someone.
2: The warder, if she was only really good at shooting, she would aim two bullets center of mass and kill the warder who's coming towards her. But because she's stupid good at shooting, she shoots the mirror out of their hand.
0: Yeah. Or the, the monocle. That's what I meant. Yeah. Okay. So it could... <laughs> I, sp- I think, yeah, I think Valencia is the most likely to be the non-lethal person in the party because she seems to be the most innocent and concerned about killing people. Like so has most, even-
2: most lethal, though, is definitely Bethel.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> has has Valencia actually killed anybody at all in the book so far? Not uh, that I'm
1: aware of. But, I mean, she's yeah, had all demons, of, like, 15 devils. minutes to herself, right? She was changed yeah. to the radiator in that basement and then uh, handcuffed Damarillas while they were kidnapped and so i mean then she hung out with the locusts for a little bit yeah she hasn't had she hasn't had a chance to kill anybody yet the first time she did was in that hotel room and she chose not to so good on her
0: yeah
2: i think she's killed like hundreds of people and you guys are clearly being prejudiced against demons yes <laughs> did you listen to the latest episode i know you guys were questioning whether those they should count and stuff and if yeah you, I- if, if they do she's bad <laughs>
1: yeah i agonized over that i mean if, if it turns out that they have any moral worth she's this hor like horrifyingly terrible monster on this on scales that make her pale in comparison to fell and it's their duty to stop her uh I, i'm, I'm hoping, hoping that demons are just evil incarnate
0: and they they have no moral worth i mean we <laughs> one of my favorite works uh uh that turned that on its head was um the sword of good where you're like oh Orcs are normal, great people, and and we've just been slaughtering them left and right. So i I could see that happening, and it would be awesome. But I mean, they're, they're kind ugly. of ugly. How good can they yeah. in moral? How much moral worth can they really have if they're ugly? That's a good point. Too. It's a good thing. It's a good thing we're all highly attractive here on this podcast, so we have a lot of moral worth. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, what do you guys think of the two new companions that we got, Valencia and Bethel?
3: OP as fuck. <laughs> Both of them, yes. God. I mean, like, like you said, Valencia is basically like an eldritch god, which, now that I think about it, uh, you know, Amarolis is the something-something existential risk person, right? Yeah. Uh, and she's fine with Valencia, who now uh, that she's passed uh, loyalty, loyalty level 20 with June... She can eat people as well. Uh, And Amaryllis is more chummy with her than ever, which uh, makes me reconsider the thing with Doris, because if she's fine with this thing, (laughs) but Doris Finch is like Doris fucking Finch, which Hmm. you shouldn't even talk to or associate with her. Uh, I mean, what the fuck is Doris? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, on the I'm topic
2: gonna... of the new companions, I want to say that I think there's a a trend we should talk about towards the companions getting stronger. Obviously, June talked about in the story that if you if you're level ten and you're all parties level ten and you find a new companion, they have to be level ten. They can't be level one. That's a just that's like unbalanced. But I think if we take everyone as they are today in the story and we rank them by power in combat, I think it's going to be like the newest companions are the strongest. And the oldest companions are the weakest. I think it's going to be a perfect line.
1: Hmm. I'll have to give that some thought. I wanted to say really quick though, as far as the two new companions, because when it became apparent that Valencia was a companion, I rolled my eyes and I'm like, "Oh man, like she doesn't seem interesting at all." We've got some, you know, doe-eyed sad girl. You know, this is going to be just a bummer. And then the moment we get some humanizing time with her, I'm like, "Oh, she's super compelling. This is great." I'm so I'm confident in Alexander's ability to do that with Bethel, but right now I just. I, I was bummed when the house became a companion. <laughs> Why is that? Because the house is a complete the house is a jerk and is <laughs> uh like I didn't get anything fun. You know, like it was it was fun the same way that like, you know, when Voldemort nailed Yermi Wibble's family skins to the wall was fun, right? Yeah. Like that that was the that was the kind of uh vibe I was getting from her. And so it's like, oh, that's compelling, but not like the kind of person I want to hang out with. And what are you gonna to bring to the party? Or like another alien intelligence? Oh, we didn't we didn't mention the doe, right? Um you know, so at least at least uh Bethel can talk and all that, but I, you know, I'd rather hang out with the six-eyed doe than Bethel, just because I don't think the doe will murder me and and really have a fun time doing it, you know?
0: Yeah. Huh. But- mm. Mm. I think Bethel's I mean- my favorite character. <laughs> I, I, I see what you're saying. I was about to say, you know, it can always be fun in video games when you have an evil party member because they get up to some shit. But also, now that I think back on it, most of the time that evil party member ended up getting in fights with the rest of my party and I ended up killing them because it was just too much hassle to be worth it. Um, Still, they, they like have some great lines and they can be really interesting for as long as you can keep them not murdering each other. Yeah, keeping people not murdering each other is always a priority. I just, I'm, I'm remembering uh, Baldur's Gate 2, where this, there's one uh, evil dwarf that can join your party, and he's great, and he has all these one-liners, and he's like, oh my god, I can't believe someone just said that. And I, I don't know how many times, because one of his uh, stock phrases of when you enter a new area or something, he quickly tells you about his best friend that died laying face down in a gutter, bleeding from every orifice, don't you know? and it just i have that burned in my head still to this day and uh i i I don't know it it you know eventually he got in a beef with the good characters in my party and it's the kind of game where your guys can fight against each other and then you have to take a side and uh hopefully maybe you have a backup save that you can avoid that particular conversation but not always it's you know It's fun, but also this gives you a chance for redemption. You could do like the Darth Vader thing where uh, you can pull them back from the edge of evil and make them good again. Or an even better example, in my opinion, would be the Xena thing where she fights Hercules, she has a change of heart, and then she spends, you know, the next several seasons having her own show trying to
3: redeem the evil things she's done in the past. I can dig it. There's always the chance they're just going to kill you, right?
0: Well, yeah, yeah, there's that too. Uh, On the plus side, you can't die if you're reading something. (laughs)
3: <laughs> right, uh, but you you can't die in the video game if you're playing the video game, right? Yeah. So so June's
0: safe. Everybody else might be fucked.
1: I'm trying to. Th- I, I was in the back of my mind. I had on the back burner ranking the companions from strongest to weakest, and we can't really rank the dough because we don't know what it can do. Like I guess it can make druids, and druids are overpowered as shit because they run on bullshit. Because their whole thing is they run on bullshit, right?
0: mm Hmm.
3: Dolus hmm. was pretty strong, and isn't her magic the Doe's magic? Uh,
2: yeah, so I think. the thing with
3: the Doe is that it's not malicious, apparently. Um, but in terms of power, uh, if she's if she's only getting like a, a fraction uh, of the Doe's power, then it must be pretty powerful. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's not – I mean, I, I'm reluctant to try and make sense of any way that the Doe uh, making – people druids works because i'm assuming it makes no sense so I, i'm not i'm not trying to figure out like what the rule is like you know does it bequeath some of its power onto every druid it makes i i suspect not because that that's too simple right it's some bullshit understanding <laughs> just because it, if has it to- made sense it wouldn't work exactly but yeah i don't know um i'm looking at i'm trying to just get some traction here so Do i'm you looking at
0: Ethel's gonna get into a beef with any of the characters we got
1: god you know probably and then it's going to be this whole so all right my first thought was probably and then it's going to be this whole stupid drama but alexander's proven himself to be a better writer than that because frankly any beef that bethel has with anybody i'm going to immediately take their side because they're not a mass murdering psychopath who's just loved skinning people alive for the last 500 years right she's right she's my favorite character <laughs> I can why never is tell bethel when you're your kidding. favorite
2: character <laughs> no she's so good I've probably talked about her the most to my girlfriend. Like, oh, and there's this house who just wants to be a house. But, but your did you tell your girlfriend about the murdering? Yeah, people didn't want her to be a house. They're like, can you be my fortress? No, she wants to be a house. Oh, can you be my vacation home? No, she wants to be a house. People were not letting her be what she wanted to be, which is a house.
1: Yeah, sure, but you know, like if uh if I want to be if I just want to be a you know a, a Broadway dancer but I need to work at a restaurant to pay rent. I'm not justified in just murdering my boss because I really want to be a Broadway dancer, you know?
2: If your boss kept raping you by shoving things into you you didn't want, yeah, Yeah, I think you... That's
1: different, obviously. We're we're moving the goalposts uh, a thousand miles away with that. I just meant that she wants to be a house. They keep trying to make other uses of her, like use her as a fortress, so she tortures them to death. I feel like that's different than uh, the... You I think know. consent is the difference that that I'm, um, that's what I'm pointing out with my comeback with the
2: rape Because I think consent is the difference If you consent to still work for your boss. She kept trying to revoke consent and no one ever listened.
1: That is an excellent point. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would take the job, you know, working at the restaurant or something voluntarily. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting her whole backstory. I'm looking forward to it. Um, We'll maybe get a POV chapter from her point of view too. I'd like one from Fen or Grack at, at some point as well. Cause I've really enjoyed just the Amaryllis honest. ones and the Valencia one.
3: I just don't understand how you can have a problem with Bethel when she's so cute with Ropi. <laughs> yeah, like they're so I, cute together. <laughs> I think Ropi's like in over his head.
2: More than I ship any other two characters in, in the story.
1: I think Ropi's mm-hmm. being taken advantage of by an older psychopath. Uh, you know, like, um, I don't know, if, if Quirrell wanted to, to groom some, you know, young, innocent child to be his uh, protege slash sex toy, you know, Quirrell might have an easy time with it, with some naive thing. And Ropi is just naivety and, and uh, just wholesomeness. I think he's I think he's being taken advantage of.
3: I thought Ro- Ropi was way older than Bethel. I mean, he's an eternal the, the,
1: golden brain. Eternal, yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. I think Ropi
2: is assumed to be also one of Uther's uh, entads, so probably loosely the same age. 500 years, plus or minus a bit.
0: Huh. I guess if he's um, bound to Amaryllis, he could have been one of Uther's early ones.
2: And it was they found him at the house, where yeah. she, her ancestors had been storing stuff. So, like...
0: No, they found Ropi
1: in um, Amun's treasure room. Shit, now I don't remember. No, nah, it was...
2: No, no, it no, was, it was a,
3: the castle, the desert castle. It
1: was.
2: Yeah, it was one of the fire. objects they found, I think in the desert castle, they found a bunch of items. One of which was ropey, I
3: think. Yeah, with the with the fairy jar.
1: Okay, if if that's true, I think they found the immobility plate, the any sword, and the fairy jar there, and those are the three that they found. I am going to do a search across the text for ropey, and if I am right, then I could be happy that i I have like an eidetic memory for the entire story so far. <laughs> <laughs> so, it showed up in chapter 35. Chapter 34 is V Condom. That's the base they retreat to after yes. getting her out of Amon's Tower.
0: Yep, yep. You did indeed nail it. I, I think, yeah, because they actually mentioned seeing a coiled rope in Amun's, uh room, too, right? Along with, like, a chair.
1: And they-, they mentioned the chair, I think, in that chapter where they're testing stuff. Uh I think why is he Amaryllis?
0: One... Maybe he's not, actually. I just assumed he was, because everything else is bound to Amaryllis. But, uh... I could be wrong.
1: No, they, they, they referenced later that she can
0: compel him to lie. Um, we had to wake Amaryllis back up for a look at the loot because the heirlooms were keyed to her, which meant she was the one that could activate them or alternately use. You know what? Did Amun clear out Vicandum? Uh You mean Carlaga? Or Carlaga, yeah. Because maybe um, he went in there several times and cleared it out. Because it does say the heirlooms are keyed to Amaryllis, despite the fact that they got it from uh, Amun's castle.
1: That's a good point. Maybe they took her while they were torturing her back to let them in. Yeah. And cleaned it out. That sounds distinctly plausible. Hey, alright, okay. we, we solved the mystery. I like that. Yay! Okay, well, where were we? We weren't anywhere. This is, uh... This is a free, <laughs> this is free-for-all here.
0: Yeah, where we just go all over the place. So, Gorky... Not Gorky. Uh, Griffin really likes the murder house. Um, Gorky, who is your favorite companion?
3: Uh, mm, well, murder that's going <laughs> <laughs> that, my favorite companion is definitely Amarillis. like there's no question about that I mean we know who your favorite companion is uh, do it's, we <laughs> uh, You high five Gorky pretend it's not Ben yeah okay it's Ben <laughs> but Valencia's high a five. close
0: second now <laughs> honestly ah, if, yeah. if I was
1: picking companions like I said I do it it's, it's not it, the lowly the what sorry
3: the lowly
0: uh, no, 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 no. The, the lolly is Solace, because Solace just got resurrected. No, uh, Vil- Valencia, close second, because she's just so fucking adorable.
1: It's funny that my intuitions are the other way around. I like Emerless for her immense pragmatism and clear thinking, and I like Grak for the same reason. So I think it, we're building parties like our... Like, I, I think, Inyash, you, know, you and I are rank ordering them on different criteria. I'm yes. thinking, okay, I've got a quest to... to whatever destroy the one ring who am i bringing with me i am sure as fuck leaving fen at the, in the shire right right so and i would absolutely bring well, Amar- oh, i don't know amaryllis would probably be corrupted in a hot second but you know so the ring aside but if i'm building a if i'm putting together a team i i don't think i want fen on it If I'm putting together a uh a group of people to get you know to have a, a week in a airbnb in the mountains with fen makes the short list right she's
0: fun i just i don't I don't know, maybe maybe if this was like some sealed team six bullshit where I had to go take someone down, then yeah. But
3: it's like I'm having I mean, a fair, really hard... Go ahead. Fenn is quite capable too, I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah, she totally is. And I just, what really matters a lot to me is enjoying reading what I'm reading. And I, I find, you know, Finn and Valencia doing, being much higher in, in that, uh, that rank ordering than Amaryllis, even though like... Okay, I guess, I mean, my my goal might be to save the world and save Arthur and all that, but I figure I'm going to get there eventually anyway because I'm a character in a novel, so I want to do it the most fun way possible.
2: Okay, I'm not bringing Amaryllis at all. No, <laughs> how come? I'm leaving her at home to be on the call and run the thing from a distance where she has perspective and time
1: and planning. She's the guy in the chair.
2: Yeah, she's the guy in the chair. That's clearly where she is most appropriate.
1: That checks out. She's the the team coordinator. If they had good cell reception on air, I think that wouldn't be a bad plan. She has been on
3: the driver's seat from the very beginning, pretty much. Uh,
0: I do. Yeah, we'd need at least a copy of her nearby, or the ability to teleport her back and forth quickly, because she she has to do the negotiations for the group. Put her on speakerphone. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really. No, you got to be face to face for most things. All right, you're talking to my boss now oh Although, yes this now is amaryllis
1: we're... pendrag who am i Take speaking a power play though like you're not worth me showing up in person
0: Ooh. <laughs> and you know now that we have valencia doing her devil eating thing where she can just do much better negotiating and reading people we could use her for that instead use her for that god that sounded bad
2: also but... you can have bethel <laughs> make an illusion so no one even knows that amaryllis isn't there
0: oh yeah, these been... party members have gotten stronger yeah it's interesting
1: I- i'm curious where things are going to go with bethel I'm trying to think of what I expect next for the book. It seems like getting the druid out is probably going to happen very quickly in book, in book six, because they've been moving mountains to get things set up for it. I don't think Solace is going to magically have the solution now that she's back, because she didn't have it before. But they might have like a new lead or something, because if it's still like, all right, let, let's keep working on this bottle thing. Um, I, I Narratively, that doesn't seem like fun, so...
0: Uh, That's a good question. Yes, um, Stephen and Gorky, where where do you think the story is going to go in the next book? Seeing as we're only about halfway through it,
3: uh, I think the next thing is to uh, wrap up the dough business. Because, I mean, I, I just I just think narratively, we've spent so much time already on that issue, uh, and even though we're back at the beginning pretty much, like I expect because we have to close that. Uh, and it, we're time time constrained. Uh, I expect we're gonna have to uh wrap up that pretty soon. Uh, I don't know how because we haven't really made any progress other than we got solace back, but uh, I don't know. I just would expect that's the next thing we wrap up and then we're free. And I mean, maybe we can do something else.
1: That's my that sm- makes sense. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm thinking too. You know, it would be a fun uh. You know, twisting of expectations there to have like the next thing that happens is essentially they fail. The the locust dies and that companion is lost and that quest is uh, um, completed, but with no experience because they failed. Uh, So far, he hasn't failed any quests. I don't think.
0: No, he hasn't. Yeah. Although, I mean, he's got a bunch of them still pending.
1: Yeah, they've got through the lashing glass. uh, They say you can't go home again. His thirteen slayers of the Slayer of
0: Horrors Um, has he not failed a single quest? I think
3: maybe he doesn't fail them, but they just get updated. Uh, Like if he misses something or it changes dramatically, then uh, the quest updates to something else. And like maybe he never gets to fail the quest technically.
0: Yeah, maybe there's always some way to recover it by going on an even longer quest. Like when Solus dies, she didn't, he didn't fail to save the locust quest. He just got a major update side quest expansion.
1: Yeah. I, I can't think of a single quest that he failed. Um, and, and then I, the and next, the,
3: next, sorry. Yeah. I was
1: gonna say the quests have been like growing in difficulty too. Um, for a while it was like, all right, prep to go to Carlaga, Um, you know, whatever, go to this castle in the desert and come back, you know, like whatever. But now it's like, all right, do this, uh, build, start, start a country. Um, you know, take take out thirteen exclusion zones. Uh <laughs> you know, restore the locusts. Um the th- these quests are, seem a lot harder than like get to the top of this castle. <laughs> Do you guys yeah. have guesses
0: as to like when they're gonna start really going for Uther and or Arthur and when they'll
3: find him? Uh hopefully never. They just drop that. What? I was gonna say <laughs> hopefully <laughs> soon. That's Whoa! Highest priority. <laughs> <Whoa>! <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Who so, said that? <laughs> everybody, literally
2: everybody said
0: that we were all surprised <laughs> why why do you de- hate Arthur and want him to not come into the story
3: uh, i don't really hate arthur i just hate other uh, than the rape obviously uh the rape i don't know uh, i mean the bethel didn't seem to mind really that was just like pretty pathetic of him uh but i mean i oh, don't you mean like the anti rape yeah, that that was that was fucked though, and also like the torturing and the threatening. Yeah, but I never really hated Arthur, even though I'm like the resident Arthur hater in the Discord. Uh, but really, I just hated like June's uh, obsession with him, and like it kind of makes sense, but I think it's also a little bit disingenuous because I think I think June is much more into like the idea of being that kind of friend uh, that into actually being that friend, you know, like he wants to see himself as, or be seen as the, the kind of friend that would, you know, go to the ends of the earth or uh, whichever world they happen to be inhabiting, you know, to help a friend in need, pay their debt or like bring them back or because, you know, that's what friends do all dramatic and just like, I guess shonen anime. Right. But he's sure, not really so interested in what, in the, what the actual, like everyday mundane aspects of, uh, true friendship would be like checking up on them or talking or, you know, sharing their feelings and, and like uh their thoughts or listening to them, you know, just I like thought, a shining anime too. I
0: thought that he spent quite a bit of time talking with him and sharing sharing feelings when in the flashbacks
3: that we get. Yeah, but see with Grack, you No, like with with grack is like basically like you're my brother. Like if you die in battle, I won't rest until I pay back your your debt for you. He says that because they're friends. But meanwhile, in real life, he's like, I tried many different dialogue options with you to get your numbers up and it didn't work. So that's so unfair. You know, <laughs> like, oh, you got your hand cut up. Oh, I now I remember that, <laughs> I guess. And, and lately, he was like, uh, I see you sitting over there, lonesome and broody. But man, I don't want to listen to no shit right now. I just have Valencia tell me a story. Uh, like, he's not really. He doesn't act like a friend to Grack at all, but he still wants to be seen like, uh, he wants to portray like this image of, of uh, you know, like, like the true friend and, you know, I'll avenge your death or like pay your debt for you, blah, 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 blah. But there's nothing real there.
1: And you're saying that kind of ties into the Arthur thing because he's been signaling tons of friendship with Grack but hasn't been doing any friendship with Grack And you're wondering if it's a similar thing with with Arthur?
3: I mean I'm pretty sure it was something like that. I mean we know uh with Arthur there's a lot of guilt because of how he actually treated him in real life. Like with Arthur he was like oh so mad and, and sad and brutally that he you know he couldn't even bring himself to show up to to the funeral like he got into a fight with somebody who said something about him off, right? He was so broken, broken and tortured uh, that his girlfriend had to break up with him, right? But meanwhile, like what actually happened was uh, he kind of sidelined him uh, for months be- after he got a ger- girlfriend, right? And he never even told him uh, for like a somewhat silly reason. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I hmm? do. So I do think
0: he probably should have told um, Arthur, and I'm sure he would have at some point. The whole being really awkward and young and not knowing how to broach that subject probably was a big issue but like it's not that uncommon for when someone is in a new relationship uh new sexual relationship that kind of people stop seeing them for a few months while they are have all this new as they call it new relationship energy and just spend a lot of time with this new person and that's just kind of a normal human cycle right
3: yeah no no i totally agree with you the thing is He's not like an anime protagonist. He's just like a regular dude. And like uh, most people's friendships are mostly based on like shared context, proximity, or like uh, convenience, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Like that's why most people stop talking to basically all of their friends, all of their high school friends. Uh, they used to like as basically as soon as they get out, you know? Uh, and s- someone you used to talk to every day, all day, you know, if they move too far away or like they switch jobs and, you know, four or five months later, uh, you're down to only chatting with them like once every month or every two months. Like that's just normal. And, you know, a romance, soaking up some of your investments with in other friendships, that's like the most normal thing in the world, right? Uh, it's not ideal, maybe, but there's nothing wrong with you. Uh uh, you know, and not telling your bro that you're dating the girl he's pining for, uh, for fear of hurting his feelings. Uh, probably not the most mature, but they were all kids. I mean, I guess young adults, uh, but, uh, (laughs) I I agree completely
0: with Gorky. They were all young adults.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, but I think, you know, that's normal. If Arthur had just had only moved to another state instead of dying, uh, I think you think six months later uh june would have been all hung up about it and like hey no he he would have pretty much forgotten all about that all of, all of that guilt right so i didn't really care that much honestly it, it really wasn't a big deal i think i
0: disagree with you mainly because that did happen to me and i like i still think about that friend sometimes and I mean, yeah, he moved to a different state and everything fell apart because like I have been <laughs> saying to Steven a few times in recent episodes, everybody leaves you in the end. And, um, and I think that's kind of what you were saying about, you know, high school friends disappearing, but like Arthur was supposed to be the one person who doesn't right. They had the real deep, true thing and then he died and then it ended and, you know, it. It ended up being, in my case, oh no, I was wrong. It did end just as easily with that friend as well, but I, I feel like I'm really latching onto to this Arthur thing because I feel, I feel June. I feel that there should be that one true friendship that really actually lasts forever, and that's what Arthur could have been if he hadn't had died. And, I don't know, maybe he wouldn't have been. Maybe Arthur would have been like, okay, we're going to different colleges. Peace out, homie. And they fall out of touch, but but maybe they could have,
3: and now he'll never know. I, mean, I think it's unclear that that would have been, but not because of Arthur, but because of June. Like, when he, while he was alive, uh, June didn't seem to... Uh, like I said, he kind of, like, sidelined him. And, like, uh, that's what he's feeling guilty about now, that he's there, right?
1: Yeah. And I think that he's got some, you know, rose-colored interpretation of their time together. Um, you know, it's... Uh, I don't know when it first mentioned, you know, he's talking to Amarillas on his first night and he's like, hold on, what was the, this King's name? And she says, Uther Pendrag. And he gets the flashback and we, we learned that it was his dead best friend. Um, you know, I, I I'm in a, I'm in a bizarrely, uh, compromised spot there to, I think assess that, um, like dispassionately, uh, so like I'm I'm Arthur's biggest fan, and I I will probably you know I, I imagine the story will reveal him to be less of like the perfect hero and the perfect friend or whatever, and June will be like well remember this and you know Uther will be like no I remember things this way, and you know June's just been looking at things through rose colored glasses or whatever, um, and yet I I don't know that the beat where we first learn about the you know, his, his friend and that, that he's on Arab and all this is going on. Um, that hit really hard for me. And so I, I, I don't know if I'm capable of being objective about it, but I do like a lot of the things that we have seen in the flashbacks of, of Arthur. Um, again, you know, the, the story we got from Bethel is different. You know, the guy who spent 40 years getting just ruined by this hellscape was less of a cool person than the guy that, uh, June grew up with. But, uh, you know in their flashbacks Arthur's uh you know he's he knows some of the rationalist techniques i think he mentions you know tabooing uh confusing words um he he just and he's he's about like the characters and you know no what about the story what about you know this this person what would they you know he's he's such a person driven uh personality um i don't know that so that that's that's the guy that i i like and i think is is compelling uh i, I see what you're saying though about i think i understand what you're saying you know june's got this um kind of like hermione complex about arthur where uh you know when hermione dies in methods of rationality harry is like well i'm gonna move heaven and earth to bring her back and quarrel says you know are you sure you're not just doing this because you being smarter than the average idiot thinks that this is what it what it means to be a true friend and uh that gives harry pause because he's like well shit you know that is the kind of thing I would think and do. And yet, no, I still think this is what I should be doing. Right. Right.
2: I think think you guys, I think some people here are being, are assuming June was, was worse to Arthur than I think he was. Right. Like how much he was pushing him away. Like, obviously they had, they they were hanging out a little less often because he was with Tiff, but we, we've, we've established that Arthur was always like 10 X more busy than June was. Right. Yeah. Like Arthur was in 10 clubs and June just had the D and D group. So I get the sense that in the past, Arthur, whenever he was available, June was always there for him. Like anytime, like time wise, I don't mean like emotionally, I just meant like physically like, Oh, this is the day I'm available to hang out. And the other guy always made it, made it work. And then I get the sense that maybe when he was dating Tiff, the relationship actually got a little more equal. Um, but I don't think it was like, I don't think he just ignored him for six months. I think that that's like a str- I think guys are, he still saw him every week for six hours for d and d or whatever, and they still like talked in class like they were still like pretty damn tight, even if he was keeping this whole tiff secret from Arthur. I think he wasn't like a terrible friend that walked away from the friendship for six months.
1: No, I don't think that's what people are saying i i i, I understand I think that interpretation though I think and corky can jump in if I'm saying this wrong, but I think what you're saying is that uh it's not like he has a bad friend, but this like this huge obsession with finding him and stuff uh, seems to only have happened because Arthur died and like, he feels bad about that. And so there's this like kind of guilt motivation there. Um, Yes.
2: Yeah. I think he, he feels much worse than if he moved away, but also him dying is much worse than if he had moved away.
1: Yeah. And just the fact that somebody else from earth is here on Arab alone, I think makes that a priority. Right. You know, if it was his mom, who he's never talked about because he doesn't like her or whatever, he'd still, he'd probably still be like, holy shit, my mom's here? Like, that's actually a huge priority for me now, right? So, I think it's a number or, of factors.
3: That's a good point. Uh, him dying is much worse than him moving away. But that doesn't make June, what like, what, how June treated him any worse, you know? And June is really hung up about that. And that's, like, uh, the, the guilt that's driving his... Uh, I, I like a lot of what's driving his obsession with Arthur. So do you like, do you actually
0: dislike Arthur or did this like how June idolizes Arthur?
3: I think my, uh, my opinion of Arthur is being uh, unduly influenced by my hate of the constant flashbacks that like mm. the interruptions that injected completely undesirable to me, fake nostalgia into what would have otherwise been a thoroughly enjoyable moment. You know, do you I, do you do you read the flashbacks? I do. I begrudgingly. Yeah.
0: Oh, but you still hate them.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay.
0: I I don't know. I just I I mean I guess I I do hear a lot of times people hate that sort of interruption in the middle of a story. I just I never disliked the flashbacks, and I was a little surprised to hear that. But then also, you know, I have, guess it kind of makes sense.
3: Have you watched Naruto, the, the anime? No, I have not. Ah, well. If you did, you would uh, have a different opinion of on flashbacks. <laughs> I don't know. Like I watched, I watched
0: Lost, and that show, while it was good, was just all about the flashbacks. Like the flashbacks were as important as the main story, if not more so. If I was forced mm.
1: to nitpick about Shang Chi, uh, I, I could I could comment that the pacing was a little off because there were tons of flashbacks. Oh God! Mm. And. <laughs> But that said, they all they all helped develop the story. They weren't like just there to be there. So again, if if like I said, back me into a corner just to be object, you know, say, you know, to prove I'm not just gonna say everything about it was perfect. But yeah, I could see where too many flashbacks are a thing. I don't know.
2: I I think I'm of two minds. So sometimes, like the one the book that really jumps to my mind, having these two or disjointed things where I'm just like uninterested in like sections of the book is, because I know Steven always likes to bring up the Aragon series, the inheritance cycle. I have this like strong memory of reading the second book and it like cuts back and forth between two completely parallel stories of the main character being a dragon writer and his cousin building a boat. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm just like constantly like I'd skip three chapters and then continue reading. And then I'd skip two chapters. Like i just get to this other guy's side story and I'm just like uninterested. And at the very end they meet up and you're like, okay, maybe that story is important. And so I've read I've read maybe when I was a kid, I'd read the book several times. And I think the first time I was like, No, I don't wanna I don't I wanna read everything. And then future rereads, I'm like, fuck this, I don't care. Like I just um
1: We get it, Roaring. You you can you can wheel you can hit hard with a hammer and you're a good carpenter, like that is not compelling enough to, to earn your 500 pages that you just got, right? Exactly.
2: Um, and then <laughs> other stories, right. I think I probably felt pretty similar about like Worm has the interludes, which are always so good and so interesting. Yeah. But when I'm sometimes I'm sitting down reading the story and occasionally I've read Worm like 10 times now. Occasionally I'm just like, Jesus I'm skipping Christ. the interlude. I'm skipping the interlude. Like sometimes I just,
0: I'm just like, I want to know what's going on in the story I care about. Don't you already know if you've read it nine times before?
3: Shut <laughs> up. I'm having <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
1: I also reread things. And I, I know what you're saying, though, it's to, it's to relive the exciting part. You know, if I'm rewatching a TV series, I'm trying to remember the last time I did that, like, in a dedicated way. Um, now everything I watch in reruns is just kind of background noise. But, you know, I might skip a couple of episodes about, uh, oh, I don't know. Um no no quick examples come to mind but i'm because sh- it's been so long but i, I know that they, they just put like the veroni kenshin anime on hulu if i were to ever say hey let's go back and rewatch this i'm sure that there were arcs from the first like third of the series that i would probably just skip because like oh yeah i remember this forget it like that wasn't that interesting but there are other parts i want to relive and so you know you you get that by reading it again or watching it again
2: that's what i imagine with the, the not liking the um the, the flashbacks is you sometimes you're just like, yeah, but June was doing something cool and I want him to finish his sentence instead of daydreaming yes. for five minutes. God damn it.
0: Uh, I, I mean, I find them interesting because I feel they always add something to story, but I, I could totally understand the, I want to see the cool thing that was happening. So imagine I've the always...
2: flashback was him using a hammer and then building a boat or something.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've always found the flashbacks in We're at the Candle so far to be engaging and worth of the digression. And what's funny is I think the first time that he does that, uh, you know, he, he speaks to the reader and says, I know, I know a flashback. You want to know what's going to happen next, but trust me, this is relevant. And so you think
2: the flashbacks were worth the candle.
1: Ah, yes. Oh. I, I do. Um, so, so far they've all been valuable. And, you know, even ones that don't really like tell us anything new, you know, I think that, you know, a couple of the ones recently, maybe not even so recently maybe when they, after they broke up, her, there might have been a flashback about um i can't remember if it was the one that explained like the tower of good and evil or whatever in parchment or if it was just like the one where they have the debate about is killing hitler morally right or wrong and well we can check this if we had a time machine and we tried a spell with a good character and an evil character or whatever um like that one didn't really like deliver anything new to the story, like to progress like, Oh, this gave me new insight into the story thing. But what it did was, uh, give us insight into the characters. And I thought that was fun. You know, even though Tiff and Raymer and, uh, Greg, is that oh Craig? Um, I don't think that they'll show up on <laughs> air, but, uh, you know, it, it's still fun to get more
3: characterization for them. They might show up. I mean, wasn't, uh, one of, uther's knights uh what was it maddie maggie or something like that
1: i think it was maddie's character and mm. one of one of his knights was also one of uther's or excuse me one of uh raymer's characters but i don't think that it was actually them it was like 12
2: or something his name was just a number you're some assassin
1: i think it was 42 yeah just because if it's
2: going to be a number yeah. it's going to be 42 you're right you're right you're right the more you said <laughs> that, was like, that makes more sense. <laughs> Um, and then obviously the Raven one, or the, the Maddie one we're talking about is Raven, just to say the two
3: names. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. The flashbacks, um, Thief's flashbacks have been, were pretty good. And also the latest flashbacks that has, that have shown uh, another side of Arthur, a little bit more uh, real, less wonderbread, Bread, cardboard cutout, have been pretty mm. good as well. I've, I've enjoyed those, but not uh, because I hate Arthur, just... Like if you're gonna show if you're gonna do it, like at least, uh, yeah, this will be pretty good. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, well, uh I was kind of curious, what do you guys think is the DM's deal? Like, who is he? Why is he doing this? What the hell man? He's nice. <laughs> I think the DM is less
1: uh omnipotent than June is when he's DMing a game. Um I think that this guy is babysitting a running process. I don't think that he can just clap his hands and erase the hells. Um I'm trying to think of an analogy from from something else, but you know, it's like he's he's got the um I I don't know, he he's the the boss with with limited uh permissions monitoring the game or something or whatever. But I don't get the impression that he's the architect and if you wanted to he could, he could you know Jump in himself and neo the you know neo his way through the matrix and solve all the problems right um he he told june he could, but he's like, no, I want you to do it I want you to solve arab's problems i think that he's i think that he was uh overstating his abilities I don't think he actually could do that if he wanted to I don't know why I have that impression, but I think that he's less omnipotent than we think he is I
3: think he is uh I think he the reason he doesn't just jump and fix everything it's just the reason uh Alexander Wales doesn't just fix everything on earth and earth and everything else right like uh it's because he wants it to be that way he's trying to make a story right like it's not uh when he says i want you to go and fix it it's not because he couldn't fix it it's because uh he wants June uh to be like a character in his story you know what i'm saying
1: yeah, yeah. i think so and that's what he said, too. I I don't know. For me, I'm just thinking, like, there has to be other ways to get, you know, to scratch your itch for a good story than to create a universe with used to be 20 billion people, but now it's 5 billion. Now the other 15 billion are in hell. Like, it's got to be easier to, to enjoy a story than to go through all the trouble of making a planet that the size of Earth and emulating 20 billion minds. You know, just just crack a book if that's all he wants, right? I mean,
3: maybe it's easy uh,
0: if you got the technology.
3: Right. Like, like, if you can make a planet and like do all that, maybe uh, at that point uh, it's just as easy as opening a book and like, right? Especially if he's <laughs> not the one making it, right, Steven, Your theory
2: is that he didn't make the thing; he didn't program it. He's a script kitty, right? So it's just as easy to run the script as it is to grab a book.
1: Yeah, if he's if he's not the architect, you know the the person who wrote the 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 base level of air and then, you know, started running it, but is like you said, just the, the guy's running the script for it. Then yeah. Then, then that way he's just doing the storytelling thing, but that, that seems to cut back on his, uh, his omnipotence power. But then again, I mean, assuming that the interface that June saw that gave him his difficulty mode and whatever, there's no doubt like a cheat menu, like there is in whatever grand theft auto or whatever, where you can press X key combinations and then suddenly you're literally invincible, right? Um, you know. Yeah, but do you know how boring that is? Right. So it, it and that's the fun thing is it turns out to get boring really fast. Uh, you do it for a while and you're like, okay, yeah, I realized that this was uh, a fun way to kill half an hour and now I'm done. Um, I don't know. So his his goal isn't just to fix air, but just to have a fun time doing it. So I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm kind of talking myself in circles here.
0: Do you guys think that he's justified in what he's doing? Is, is, he, is this a bad thing that he's doing, or does it not matter, or what? The level of evil that I ascribe to him will
1: be directly proportional to how much power he has over Erb and uh, its, its environment, right? If he is kind of just the steward, and he was able to ask his boss or to sneak in one person from Earth or something, and he brought in June... I don't think that's quite how it worked, but if it was something to that level of, you know, that similar level of, um, uh, I, have, I can't think of the word. What was that? Undrived? Maybe, yeah. I guess I'm just trying to think, like, if, if he wasn't, if he's not fully in charge of everything, then he's, you know, was he justified? I don't know. Maybe it's like, this is his day job, right? And maybe he chose an uneth- unethical line of work, but... He also needs, you
3: know, to feed his family or something. Um do you oh, think well, that's just from- that's just kicking the can. I mean, if he if he isn't in charge, then what about the person who is in charge?
1: Oh, I know. I'm just talking about the guy that June talked to in in the void, right? Yeah, somebody whoever made Arab, I mean, this this is a fun kind of, you know, philosophical you know uh, conundrum, but you know, Arab contains on on net way more suffering than than uh, positivity. And it contains a lot of unnecessary suffering. Um, you know the, uh, the the number of people in hell versus versus the terrestrial part of it, which is no cakewalk in in and of itself, is still like three to one, right? At least, or you know, no, that's only in the last five hundred years has the population gone down that much. Everybody who's ever lived is is rotting in hell, except for the ones who are still alive. So like, Arab is full of unnecessary evil.
2: Uh, um, well, souls being destroyed, right? That we know that the accepted practice is to stop souls from going to hell. So we have to expect in non-extreme
1: circumstances, most souls don't go to hell. Oh, that's a good point. I mean, assuming like a- after they got the ability to do that and, you know, that's also not including like every, um, fetus factory where they're doing soul harvesting, right? Every time they do an accident, ax- every the, one of those is bombed or, or there's an accident and one of these tanks explodes from a you know car crash or something. All those souls go to hell. Um, it's uh, I don't know. I guess what I was getting at is that Arab is unnecessarily evil. And yet, if I could like if I could duplicate Earth and just make another planet like ours, um, not not just like you know copy paste and just double absolutely everything down to the atom, but like if I learned there's another planet that had almost eight billion people on it. And they had lives like ours. You know, they had friendships and uh, um, connections and they had dreams. They, they enjoyed stories. They wrote songs. Uh, and yeah, they got hurt. They broke their legs. They got sick. I still think that if I learned there's another planet out there with
0: human-like
1: life on it, I would think that's
0: awesome. I'd be excited so you, to learn that. So you don't think that whoever ultimately controls the power flow to the Arab simulation has a responsibility to turn it off?
1: Uh, I think they I think they've done something wrong by making it so evil. Um, I brought up like an, uh, an extra earth as an
0: example, because I don't think earth is all that bad. Um, right. But given you, you do think Airb is all that bad. And right. given that it is what it is, do you think it would be better right now for someone just to pull the plug and end it? Yeah.
1: I mean, if they, if they can't just run a quick script to erase hell, um, you know, it, it seems like it'd be easier to fix. It, it would be trivially easy to fix, even if it would be easier just to unplug it. So if I got to pick, I'd say just fix it. But, <laughs> uh, you know, overall, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm sure you ask somebody after their eight
0: millionth year in hell that they'd probably wish someone would unplug them, right? So if, if the DM is like the just the day laborer, the janitor at this place, it, it'd be not a bad idea for him to trip over the power cord. <laughs> I don't know Mm -hmm. if I in my mental model, I put them all the way
1: down at janitor, but I I see what (laughs) you're saying. I, um, I, I'm also just assuming, and this is getting, you know, maybe a little far into the weeds of it, but I, I imagine that Arab is redundantly saved. Like it's not just running on a server, like on a computer on this guy's desk. Mm. Um, if it was as easy as, I mean, maybe it is, you know, if, if building a planet with, with hundreds of years of history or maybe thousands is as easy as me booting up a game on my PlayStation, then, uh, you know, maybe it would be that easy. But I'm assuming it took some work. Maybe that's I mean, just how
3: realistic games get in the future. Yeah. Don't you think maybe this guys just playing Roy?
1: Yeah, that's Wes's big thing. And Wes also, <laughs> this actually may be worth uh, uh, asking explicitly. His big thing was that Earth was also a simulation. And he seems to have been, I think he's on the right track. His main thing was that it was called Bumblefuck Kansas. and. I always sort of took that as a joke, you know, like, yeah. but the thing is they never explained it. He never once gave a nod to the audience. That's like, you know, parenthetically, it's not really called Bumblefuck. We've always called it that because we grew up there and it's middle of nowhere. If we got that, like in the last uh, 10% of the book and he just explains like, Oh yeah, I made up the name. I forgot to tell you guys. I think that people <laughs> might be dissatisfied with that. Um, but it does seem like earth is in a simulation on some level because the, the DM pulled June out of English class and asked him, do you want to go to the matrix or go to a different matrix? Right. Mm-hmm. So something, something's going June.
0: on. I think so neither p- of them are simulations. That was always my read. They're both real. I mean, I disagree Ooh. that a simulation can't be real. I think they're real and simulations, but why right. do you think neither is a simulation? I mean, I, I think if given the power
2: to teleport with teleport keys, right? Like pulling them out of English class does not sound very difficult for a godlike entity so oh, well yeah
3: and what do you think about the messages like the uh rebooting and the uh what was it oh it's i the think warnings. the system that runs june's like screen like
2: his user interface might be like the hud is a system is a computer program but that doesn't necessarily mean that i think everything everyone is a computer program
3: mm-hmm.
0: Gorky never got a chance to to answer because you thought the DM is basically completely all powerful. Do you think that he is uh a bad person for running this thing and having June in it or what what is your take on on Hit
3: the DM? Uh it depends on whether uh everyone's everyone's lives are they would consider worth living inside. Uh so the big sticking point is the hells. Uh, not all of the hells are bad apparently. Like uh, Amarillis says, like the first hell, hells are like barely, uh, probably like even better than than Silmer, S- Silmer City or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the rest of them, the zombie infested wasteland, uh, yeah, which wasn't all that bad. Like <laughs> it went pretty, it was okay. <laughs> I mean,
0: if if you have Amarillis and June on your side. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, right. if the best
1: layer of hell was like comfort, where you got to sleep with one eye open, otherwise you'd be ripped apart, and then once you're ripped apart, you're put back together so you'd be ripped apart again because this is hell and there's no getting out. It still sounds like a drag. It's not great, and that's the best level,
3: right? Uh, yeah, that's a problem. So uh, if those people are all real in the hells, which you know, according to Falather, maybe uh, there's reason to think maybe they're not. But if they are, then yeah, that's net. I think the whole thing is net uh, negative and it will be better to turn it off. But if they're not, uh, then, you know, there's a chance. Maybe it's not so bad. So let's assume that the world itself isn't net
0: negative. Like, what do you feel about the DM just for the um, pain that he's putting June and his companions through and Arthur too, I guess. June Uh, volunteered for it, right? Did Finn and mm. Grack and Amaryllis?
1: It's unclear. I mean, well they didn't get the same offer, right? Unless if they did, they got mind mind wiped and didn't get their memories restored. But um you know, their their well, they, they,
0: existence already kinda was there, right? They just they just crossed paths with June. Uh, maybe. Like the the DM certainly seems to have a lot of control and per Gorky's interpretation, like complete control.
3: Uh they didn't uh they didn't agree to be there any more than any of us did agree to be here. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I think what matters there is whether they will consider it uh, uh, on net positive, like whether they think their lives are worth living. And I think they do. So yeah, that's fine.
0: I'm not sure. I agree. I think the Christian God would be a complete dick. Even if I considered my life n- net worth living in the end, I still think to fuck him for making it, you know, as painful and terrible in some parts as it was when it didn't need to be. And I would feel the same way about DM.
1: Kind of makes you wonder, maybe the game when they, when air was made, you know, it without the exclusions and stuff, um, or or I guess maybe earlier on, it was more utopic, you know, more utopia and everyone had more freedoms and stuff, but then those freedoms got abused and we needed to start walling off this kind of magic and uh, quartering off the ability to do this because, Man did not did not know you guys would fuck with soul magic like that. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna nerf the hell out of that. M- maybe maybe Arab got ruined by the super powerful magic that anyone who wanted to could dedicate the time to learn and you know destroy a continent. Mm-hmm. The problem was free will all along.
3: I mean, so I, I,
1: that, that doesn't work for like an Earth defense of evil. I don't think because the the architect of Earth in the common uh, story is omniscient and can see the future in the past and you know all that. So it's not fair to say, well, you know, free will is the problem there. But it might be on Arab. You know, if I if I made a si- you know, if I made a little simulation and they started killing each other, it's like, well shit, I didn't mean for that to happen. But I don't know. It's maybe at that point you're ethically obligated to to reboot it with uh less murdery impulses built in or something.
0: Hmm. You were so you were saying g-
3: something, quirky? Yeah, I was going to ask you if like If somebody has the power to create a universe however they want, uh, you know, and they could create, like, a maximally happy, uh, like, a universe filled with maximum happiness, however that works, uh, that would be good, right? But, uh, I mean, I'm assuming your answer is that, would that be good? It wouldn't be bad. (laughs) Okay.
0: Uh, I'm willing to say it wouldn't be bad. I'm not yet sure that making a universe full of maximum happiness is necessarily good on its face.
3: I mean, I'm not talking about turning this one into like uh, the super happiest, but whatever. Uh, If
0: you're uh, already stuck with the universe, I think optimizing it to be maximally happy would be good. Yeah.
3: Right. But with that person, uh, so with, with making anything but the maximally happiest possible universe then therefore bad i see where you're going and have you all of you
0: guys read unsong yet uh no i haven't okay well um you're trying to slippery slope me into unsong and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and i think what i would be willing to say is that some there's different levels of how bad universes can be and i think the current one that we inhabit has slipped below the The threshold for how bad you should allow a universe to be. Even if on net over the entirety of the universe there is, you know, positive utility. Like I I don't think it justifies everything that has gone down.
2: Wait, you said we inhabit. You mean like us? Like this earth, real earth? Just making sure. Okay. Just want to make sure we're all clear on the same page. Well.
3: well,
1: mm. (laughs) I
2: think life's pretty good and we're doing okay. Yeah. I wouldn't
3: have. Also, I, I did do I not expect that.
2: I'm starting to think maybe Ineash needs to uh, see someone to talk about his uh, the fact that everyone leaves you at all times, and that the universe that we are below the threshold for destroying the planet. I feel like
0: okay. So I mean, yeah, <laughs> sure. I've I've have been diagnosed as depressive before, but it's it it is not skewing my view. I simply am not as blinded as you guys are by my happiness.
3: Ooh.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah i don't um, know i um i think that there's something to be said about uh, i don't know you know meaning of life happiness i feel like we're getting pretty pretty far into <laughs> the weeds uh i mean I, I i could dig into that but i'm wondering how much of that is worth the candle and how much of that is let's get drunk Ooh. and talk philosophy um maybe
2: maybe I that'll be a bonus that's what episode retro
0: Episodes were all about <laughs>
2: Okay, so I have a quote from the Discord that I'm going to read to everybody that's just Uh-oh. so good. Um, so bring us back on topic of the worth the candle. Um, Fred L.F. pointed out this Chapter 35 line that would have escaped everybody but makes is worth talking about now given the new context of where the story is. And it's the eternal golden braid, muttered Amaryllis from the couch. Apparently getting that fire going had been a poor choice because she was very low on energy. Yeah, I said chuckling. That was the name I gave it, but they called it Ropey. If I remember right, it fell in love with a sentient magic sword shortly before that campaign was put on the shelf.
1: You think that was the sword that Uther uh, found and beheaded that king that he briefly kinged. Uh Are we all still on?
3: That's yes. clearly what that, That's clearly what, uh yeah. <laughs> is trying to point out. Yeah, I like that. That's fun. Yes, um, and, that, and the house is now that sword, and we know how that went. He, I think wrote, this he has is a propensity ruining- for
0: falling in love with things <laughs> I-, I think this is ruining my point where not everything is a clue
1: <laughs>
0: that might be fun is there anything so far
1: that has that has been definitively not a clue oh no wait uh, I mean I guess it depends on how you know like what you put on your clue list I remembered like when Volatyr looked at uh, Fen and he's like quarter elf huh I thought that he's, he could see her soul or something And knew something about her that she didn't know. But no, he just guessed wrong. She was actually half-elf, and he he accepted that when she told him. So, like, that wasn't really a clue about her being a quarter-elf secretly or something. No, but it was a clue about
2: his not being perfect, right? It was a clue about him not being (laughs) infallible. Even with a million-level luck, right? He's not infallible.
0: Clue. Yeah, Yeah. but clue in this context means the same way that uh fen and amaryllis said it in the earlier chapters where they were saying that not everything you encounter is the dm trying to say things about narrative and therefore you don't have to worry about every single little thing in the world being a secret message to you yeah
1: i think that it would be unfair to put the fact that you know this thing about falter shows that he's not uh you know infallible I mean, yes, it does. It's evidence for that, but that, yeah, I want to, you know, clue is something significant about the game or what's going on here or something like that, right?
0: And I do think that like calling the show, not everything is a clue does imply that some things really are clues about the narrative and about what the DM is trying to say specifically to June. And so I I think there are things like that in the text.
1: Well, and I, I, I. I use the the term clue a little more broadly to also just encompass like what the fuck is going on. Um, yeah. So, you know, when he realized the zombies that he was fighting in like chapter one, where the zombies from a campaign he made and there, you don't go for the brain, you go for the heart. Like that was a clue. It, it's not a clue about like what the DM is doing necessarily. It's just a clue about like, oh, okay, here's, here's part of how the situation of what his circumstances are. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, some things aren't that. I don't know. I'd have to see this. That, that's what will make rereading this so rewarding. Oh. Once I finish the whole thing, oh, I'll go no. back and do that. Um, I I'm trying to think of like any big examples. I mean, nothing. Nothing's jumping out of me. I, I I can't think of one right off.
0: Examples of things that aren't clues or are clues
1: that aren't um, aren't. I mean, because I won't really know until later. You know, there's like the interesting thing with like um you know, parsement and the Abswith and the Brendan, like. I don't think we're going to get to see them again. It's like this cool thing that like, oh yeah, this, look at this fun, you know, we could have spent a long time here exploring this whole thing. This could have been, you know, this could have taken up the page count of the Locust Jar situation, right? Um, It said they were there for like two chapters and I suspect they'll never go back. Um, It's like, and this might have What? What was the name you said? It was
2: Parsmith, uh, there was this person's name that I didn't recognize.
1: Oh, the the Bendon, I think, was the opposite of the Abswith, which was like the 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 goodly guy with the giant sword in the White Tower. There was his counterpart, oh, which I'm assuming is the badly guy, I guess with a small sword. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, like there was this there's opportunity for a lot of exploration and cool world stuff there, but all we got to do was like do a drive-by of it and be like, oh yeah, there's cool shit over there, and we're gone, and we don't have time to go back. Um, Where was I going with this? So, I mean, is that a clue about, I'm like, clear. the narrative? I don't know what that could be about, like, narratively, but this might be something about like, meta-narratively, about, like, I had this cool idea for part of the story, but I couldn't think of how to shoehorn it in, like, without really throwing things off the rails. So I'll put them there briefly, just because I liked the idea, and then I'll leave it and go back to the rest of the story. Like, maybe that's how that stuff made it into the into the book in the first place, or maybe that's an allusion to like you know when June would DM and, and invent his own games. He would try stuff that didn't work, and it got tabled, right, mm-hmm. or shelved. But that's more literary analysis than
0: I—that's above my pay grade. So no, that, that that sounded like pretty good analysis to me, where where it's trying to draw a comparison between the world that he's inhabiting now and the ones that he made, and how the creative process can you know sometimes go awry like that. Seems like, like a clue. <laughs> it does. It, 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 yeah. I keep thinking that like a lot of this world, because we see it as a video game, that's, you know, a and a story about stories is about that sort of the creative process of, of creating a world and, and stories within it. And I don't know. I, I think that's one of the things I keep liking about it. Griffin or Gorky, do either of you guys write? Write? Uh, I don't
1: write. No. Or, or, I guess, more broadly, create anything like, um, you know, maybe maybe compose music. We're
2: hosting or... uh, Shaping Exercises 101, the Mother of Learning Commentary Session Analysis podcast.
1: Yeah, aside from that, yeah, which everyone like. should be listening to. The reason <laughs> I ask is because Inyash is is an author, and so I think that you're able to read things, especially a book that talks a lot about stories, which, you know, some some stories talk about stories, but it's like a passing thing. It's not like key to everything right mm-hmm. um you know sam has that great speech because uh, he's the best hype man in all of fiction at the mm-hmm. end of the two towers when he's telling frodo about you know the 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 stories that you heard as a kid that really mattered the ones that stuck with you you know so he's talking about stories and he's a character in a story um but it's like stories aren't like the most important thing in the world in middle earth right right and whereas they are on Arab, it seems like so. Yeah. I, I imagine like having a self-aware character that isn't like Deadpool level self-aware, but is um I don't know, almost ca- like like Harry from Methods of Rationality. He thought in narrative terms a lot, but that's kind of because he was a kid and he was making his life fun, right? yeah well like if this was a game that would be fucked right here right like you know so that's those are the kinds of things that you would think but his his life wasn't literally a game and that's not how it actually works but that is how june's life works yeah it, it's it's an interesting way to shape everything
0: that way right Mm-hmm. yeah it is the thing that you know i like most about it and and that you know the <laughs> it's always when you read a lot of fiction or watch a lot of movies there's things that you just come to accept and i think even um amaryllis mentioned this in one of the most recent chapters we read with the uh cuts in movies that they were really disorienting to her because she hasn't seen anything like that in real life and we've just grown to accept them and there's a lot of narrative conventions that are the same kind of way that if you were to actually live a life like like uh how stories are written how deranging it would be and and how frustrating it would end up being that that you can't just have a normal life. That everything has some great, greater meaning and narrative purpose behind it, and everything that happens on screen, at least, has to be towards some end because otherwise, it's a waste of the audience's time. Everything has to be a clue in some way, uh, and that's. I, I think we've been getting a lot of that. And I wonder if you guys have felt that it's changed at all from book one through book five here, how it's presented or if or if, you know, you're into that as much as I am. You mean specifically like the emphasis on um, what it's like being inside a constructed narrative rather than just living a normal life? I mean, like consider our lives. Imagine if like Chekhov guns were a thing
1: in our lives right what would that what the fuck would that even mean you know like what i only notice something if it's going to be important later like and then imagining imagine discovering that law of nature <laughs> you know it, life would make no sense but when you're writing down stuff in a story in your in your using word count and taking up your 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 reader's time well it better be something worth them worth their time reading And so I would
2: say I actually, I disagree. I think one of the things I've loved most about web novels and why I've fallen in love with them and read a bunch of these really big ones and enjoyed them so much is because there isn't an editor yelling at them, cut this stuff. It's not important. Like I like that the world feels more real in web novels because the, the the setting can exist on its own without someone needing to go, Oh, but why was there this gun? Oh, there's a gun. Cause it makes sense to character to have the gun, not because you're going to need it in five minutes. Like, I think there's something valuable to details and world building that has, there, there isn't an end goal. It's purely the, in and itself, the goal.
1: I, I totally agree. I, 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 don't know a lot about how, how much, you know, if an editor gets their hands on a book, how much they want to, you know, chop and how much freedom they get over that. Um, I wouldn't want that to be the case. Uh, I I was thinking more just like, I mean, even in uh, "Worth the candle, you know, we've joked about the conspicuous lack of erections that June has, right? (laughs) Like, you know, has, has he ever had an erection when looking at, looking at, or thinking about Amaryllis? Like, we don't know because he hasn't talked about it and he hasn't talked about it because he's writing his autobiography and he doesn't feel like it's important to tell us. Right. We don't, we don't know uh, other than how, you know, they described how the bathroom situation works in the time chamber. We never observed anyone taking a bathroom break, right? Like it, so you leave out the stuff that doesn't matter. You leave in the stuff that does just because as an author, you realize like, all right, I want to tell this story. I don't want to, um, I don't want to Robert Jordan this and spend 400 pages talking about, you know, the fabrics that make up these people's clothes and the tapestries and all this and that. Right. Um, yeah.
2: I got through one wheel of time book. That's as far as I got.
1: I got through all of them a couple of times. Uh, maybe the last three or maybe the last handful uh, just once, but I had to read the first several twice because I sat them down for a year and forgot everything. Um, but that is one where like on the second rereads and you're going through, you're like, oh yeah, skip, skip, skim pages. Wasn't there that rule of thumb with Lord of the Rings where if they're talking about trees, you just skip a page? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we
0: got that one from uh, Zeke, I think.
1: I like that. Yeah, I think with Robert Jordan, you know, if, if it's if it's talking about clothes, you can probably skip a page or at least skip the paragraph. I mean, for the for all the time it talks about clothes, I can't think of a single time that clothes fucking mattered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I... So Sorry, what was the
2: original I, I question, Nino? I'm going to say, I hate when they show something mundane and you immediately go, the only reason him waking up in this scene matters at all is because this is... And the song it's playing on the radio when he wakes up right now only matters because this is the beginning of the time loop. Like I don't like that the only time anything mundane is appear on screen is when you immediately know it's important because they cut out any other mundane stuff to get to the core of the story. Like you need, it needs to be spread out. Otherwise, anything mundane is a giant clue. That's why.
0: Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. well, I was just gonna say, I agree, basically, this is especially a problem for uh, like murder mysteries, but you know, you, you sprinkle in some other clues, but like Stephen said, you just can't, talk about everything because the the real world is surprisingly complex and you don't have the time to do everything and so you you focus on just like a few key details here and there and hopefully if you're doing it right not only do you focus on the most interesting things of the surrounding setting but like you also do it in a way that gives you clues about the character because as long as it's written from a character's point of view you should like you should only highlight the things that a character would notice in that situation like what a what a princess would notice should probably be pretty damn different from what a grizzled veteran should notice.
2: Yeah, I, I think it makes me think of Worm. Like I think Taylor being self-conscious about her cup size, const- like notices that on people. Oh, nice. Um like th- th- like just like she notices things about people that I definitely wouldn't because that's who she is as a character.
0: Yeah, so that's that's good shit, but yeah, you there's there's a lot of things that i guess the original question was like in the in the first book definitely and like earlier on in the novels it seemed like a lot of it was about june being in a narrative and being a protagonist and as it's gone on it's become slightly more meta where it's also now about june knowing that he's in a narrative and how that's changing things even more it's not just about you know the cycle uh, the 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 hero's journey and uh the 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 rising action climax falling action cycle it's it's now the fact that he knows about it is also coming into play
1: yeah that's unfortunately this gets like and I, i'm not dodging the question so much as like pointing at my inability to art like it for me it's like walking a tightrope and i keep falling yeah i i i, <laughs> I um it's like trying to keep my eye on the on the okay here's what the author is doing while writing a story about a character that is aware that he's in a story that is sort of not authored by him um and yet the main character in the story is telling us about that story uh, from his point of view mostly like it, i i lose track I, it's like juggling and i keep dropping a ball um yeah. so it's it's what what's what i can't say about it though just without being able to say anything intelligent is that it is interesting you know, having not read a story like this again, Harry from *Methods of is the closest to it. Where he's like, "If this were a story, then dun dun dun," um, or he would, you know, mention tropes right uh, yeah. in a way that people here on Earth don't usually do. Like, we might make a joke,
0: but um, we don't we don't run our lives that way. It's I don't know. Like, I- to me, the biggest change in that in that uh, arena was when. Uh, Amaryllis and Fenn specifically uh, withheld knowledge of the void bomb arrow uh, from June so that they could use it in the adventure because they knew if June knew about it, then like the narrator or the whoever the audience knows about it. And so it won't work. And like when that happened, it, it felt like the story kind of shifted from that point to me where now all of a sudden they're much more concerned about like, oh, shit something i really hope something else happens while this baby is being delivered because otherwise i am fucked with this baby what's funny about that is like
1: this is still happening from the context of june telling us about the time they broke voliter out of prison you know after the fact he could mm-hmm. have told us and little did i know at the time they had brought on these cool void weapon bom- you know nukes that i didn't know about but he also mm-hmm. didn't tell us about it right right so like on one level June is trying to keep. Uh, June's writing a story to us, and he's trying to keep things interesting and not do the um, the. I don't know what it was called, like the articulated plan, val- you know, trap or something, uh, where you lay out the steps of you the guys plan. Use a different name
3: every time. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I forget what it's the formal name is. Unspoken plan guarantee
1: okay thank you yes the unspoken plan guarantee so like i was literally sitting
2: here trying to think of a really dumb synonym for every word to say as the running <laughs> gag and then you just came in and did it on accident i, I want
1: to get this one right some of these i, I mess with up for fun some i want to articulate uh properly but the the unspoken plan guarantee applies to june in his life because the dm wants things to work that way right so that's why the void bond thing worked but
0: why should that be the case for us reading his autobiography well do you sound awfully close to saying that the dm has a fair bit of power then no no mm-hmm. i i think that
1: i i mean if if i believe my life around narrative i might do things that way right mhm so in the context of the story if i'm june uh and Amaryllis is giving a baby, or giving birth to a baby, and things look like they're going well. I'm going to go open the closets and looking for ninjas, right? Right. Because I want things to be okay. And yet, if I'm June later, after all this happened, writing about what happened, why would I make my why would I make my autobiography a compelling story with things included like the unspoken plan guarantee and? Do people read uh, it. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. But I guess to me, that that's, it's at that level of, of meta analysis that I find myself losing my ability to articulate what I'm trying to say, because there's artistic two different pride. levels of analysis there, right? What was that last one? He said artistic, artistic pride. Yeah, Ah. okay, nice. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. But it's like, I, I wouldn't have found it. So it was fun in the prison seeing about the, the, the void, um, ma- you know, whatever the mass void bomb, uh, having that be a surprise. And yet, it wouldn't have, like, too badly diminished it if, you know, he had said, like, in a parenthetical before they went to the prison, you know, and man, was I pissed, well, you know, down the road when I learned that, uh, um, Amaryllis and Fenn had this super weapon that they didn't tell me about. Like, he could have dropped that line for us because he's not, you know, we're not being held to the same, like, narrative concern about our, like, literal physical safety that he is.
2: What about just like a normal selfish personal reaction, like, oh, people did this to me, and I want to do it to other people? Like, he just like right, that makes sense.
0: That that's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, well, you, we we do know that June considers himself, you know, a pretty decent storyteller, and he probably doesn't want to start telling a shittier story just because, you know, like you said, artistic pride.
1: That's a good point. If it, you know the the logical extension of my uh, my reasoning there is that he could have told us. At the beginning, once he realized that it was Arthur, he could have just told. He could have put it in a parenthetical, and it was a good thing I found him too, because things worked out. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, he could have just done that, right? So he, he's not just writing, you know. That feels a, worse. It does
0: feel worse, and he, so he <laughs> he is writing a story worth reading. <laughs> um, so, seeing as when June met the DM, he told the DM, "You're a shittier storyteller than you think you are." Um, what? How, But he's doing the same thing as the DM, supposedly, here, where he didn't tell us about the uh, Void Arrows, either. What do you guys think? Is he a shittier storyteller than than the DM? Do you have any opinions on that matter? Is the DM a good storyteller, based on what we've seen so far with what's happened to June and and his party? I think I'll need to see more of the story. Um, I mean, because the DM
1: isn't isn't telling me the story, though. June is. Mm. so. I think that's 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 tripping me up. Like, I don't know how good of a storyteller the DM is because I'm not getting it from his perspective. I'm getting it from June's and June's conveying the story that the DM
0: kind of orchestrated for him in a compelling, fun way. Right. Yeah, you're right. I guess that's two different kinds of stories because June is trying to write a book, whereas the DM, if anything, I guess, was trying to create a interesting lived experience like that movie, The Game which is which is different from writing a book
1: yeah so see this is where i'm talking about where like the the meta analysis of it gets me tripped up a little bit because i don't i don't know what to do anymore with like uh so i guess i can't really answer that question i mean the the mm, certainly if the dm is trying to tell a story about like just june and arthur um or tell a story for each of them or something. Then he's a shitty storyteller because it took him 500 years to do it. And 20 million people <laughs> burning in hell. Right. Mm. That guy did not know how to get to the point. Uh,
0: so eggs and omelets, man.
1: Yeah. He, he could have, <laughs> but I mean, he, he, he could have made that, you know, 20 book series, you know, a three book trilogy. If he had cut
0: out all the horrible terror that he just put in his fluff. Right. Right. <laughs> Gorky, uh, I know we've been, like, kind of talking over you and stuff. Like, feel
3: free to interject oh, no. at any point. Oh, I have been enjoying listening to the episode. It's been going great. <laughs> <laughs> you get it a week before everybody
0: else.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's great. It's great. Just imagine how oh. bored we're going to be on Monday,
1: though. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Inesh and I get to shoot the shit all the time. I'm interested to get more from you guys. Um, I'm well, looking a...
3: No, no, because go ahead. You're looking at what? You're looking at what?
1: <laughs> I was looking at your notes, but I think that's what you're gonna say, so go ahead.
3: Oh yeah, I was yeah, I was just gonna say I have a, uh I have some notes about uh I was wondering if you want to talk about when Amarillus is finally going to embody the her true role as the protagonist that she's uh she's always been. You oh, about you think that? she's gonna take over the narrative from June? Uh yeah, pretty much. I mean, we know uh Fenn and Valencia are happy to be subsumed into June's plot. I mean they have this they, they they would do pretty much whatever he wants to do and just go with it, right? Um but Amarillus clearly is not so much. I mean she she already had her own plot going on before June. Um mm-hmm. I mean she had already sent that letter to Uniquities when they met, right? And uh, in that fact, letter to she, Uniquities? Yeah that letter she sent to uh, what was it, Alcida? The way well, we found out last chapter. They so I, I, think dra- she, I think she talks about. She, I think she drafted to Congress,
2: religion. like, or it's like her government, like, Oh, here's like a report I wrote about uniquities. I think that's all that's happened
3: between mm. them.
1: Are you guys okay. talking about chapter one Oh five? Cause I haven't read the no. whole one
3: yet. Uh, there
1: was nothing mentioned about her writing a letter to uniquities yet. I'm not worried about a spoiler or anything. I'm just letting you know that that hasn't happened yet. Um, no,
3: it was uh let me let me check. It was last chapter, I think. In any
1: case, uh, the, the the bulk of what you're saying though is definitely true. She had her own story. She's like, I'm a princess trying to, you know, um regain at least my my previous status on the 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 power ladder of Erb, uh or of the, the Anglican Empire. Um and you know, yeah, I, and when, I was when June was, got
3: into the picture. When June came into the picture, she got him into her Plots, right like she pretty much subsumed june into her into her plot exactly right? she's been she's been on the driver's seat from the very beginning pretty much and okay, we know I, June's the, not- I found
2: the thing uh, koi's re- or gorky's referencing in mm-hmm. the text chapter 103 um, um i wrote a brief to the lost king's court yada 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 two people about the finances of your regime like she wrote a report saying they suck and then or like this, at least they're like embezzling or something sketchy' going on and then the person, um, Alcita says, I read your letter as you might've guessed, but the letter is the brief she wrote to the government. I
1: got it. Got it. Well, oh, okay. I see what you guys are saying. Nice catch. I forgot about that. Um, and that's I why he's my... been
2: impressed with her or she's been
1: impressed with Amaryllis forever is this isn't her first interaction with Amaryllis, or at least not the
0: first time she's ever, uh, interacted with anything she said. I do like Gorky's point though, because mm-hmm. like Amaryllis kind of has been leading everything and like even. Wanting to um, to restore the locus has been amaryllis's goal from the beginning. Like, they've been focusing on everything she wants to do to the exclusion of going after uh, Uther.
3: Yeah, we know June is not fully on board with that. You know, his own plans are not fully aligned with hers. Or at least mm-hmm. he has different priorities, right? Yeah. But June is the key to so many things. And I wonder if at some point, or I guess how long it's going to take for her to decide to exert a tighter control over that key. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think she's secretly planning to betray him or that will reflect on her loyalty. But, uh, you know, how much of that loyalty is purely instrumental, like about needing him as a conduit to God, basically? Like, how much of that loyalty is to him, Juniper Smith versus like to the player? You know, like, could he go from like 20... uh, 20-something to zero tomorrow if if they find, like, an end tab that can transfer uh, playerhood to her, you
1: know? <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. No, you, you made a really good point, 20- and I, I was going to say the same thing about Amarillas had her own narrative and story going in a way that none of the other companions did. Grack, maybe, kinda. Um, but the the idea of... Um, I, well, I was oh, I I going to say just running with the idea of the... Um, uh, like she, she described June as a lever that can move the world, right? right. And clearly, she wants to be the one moving that, or pull, you know, tipping that lever, whatever you call, actioning a lever. Um, so she, she wants, you know, she, she's keeping this this guy around in the beginning, anyway, because he's. She thinks, hey, I've got a budding godling here that I can keep close to me and use him to help me achieve my ends. The other folks, you know, Valencia, unfortunately has the most unfortunate backstory. She didn't, she for all intents and purposes didn't exist off camera. You know, Fen was just like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, um, I pillage empty zombie ridden towns. And I don't know, the six eyed doe has been living it up as a deer for the last eons. And the house has been a terrible house for the last 500 years. Um, excellent house,
2: <laughs> worst house ever
1: <laughs> murdering its occupants. Um, but the, those, those
2: occupants never left.
1: They must have loved the house so much. That yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's what all the that's what all the pe- people trapped in my basement say too. Um, but the uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's interesting because Amaryllis had goals and ambitions aside from June. Whereas like if June just like I don't know unplugged from the game and left, you get the feeling that like Valencia f- and Fenn would be lost. Like what would they go back to doing? Whereas Amaryllis would be like. Well, shit. I, this will be
0: harder, but I still have my goals, right? Right. I. Um. So I, I've read at least one book where we're following a protagonist all the way through the book, and about two thirds of the way through, he's killed, and uh, a secondary character like literally takes over the narrative and becomes the new protagonist, and occasionally has like you know, kind of, kind of memory conversations with what she thinks the protagonist would have would have been saying or doing right there, but like I. I I like this take where, I mean, do you think that she would literally take over the narrative or do you, is it more like a kind of a reveal at the end that I was the true protagonist all along and you were like the, the Watson to, to, to my homes telling, telling the story, even though the story was really about me?
1: I think that um, if, if
0: the story that you're alluding to that you've read, where
1: the protagonist dies two thirds of the way through and someone else takes over, if that turns out to be this story, well played, sir. So. Uh, <laughs> wow. You, you did say that's, she. That's... Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> Oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. But um, oh, no. uh, Worm
2: yeah. was one die roll away from that happening.
0: Yeah. yeah. Legally, I think, yeah. Did I tell you
1: about that, Inyash?
0: Yeah, you did. Yeah. For
1: but the uninitiated. Like,
3: the Gorky, was, Gorky was saying something, too. Uh, no, you can keep going. I was gonna say that. Um, I was just gonna keep uh, making my point that uh, we've seen we have we've sorry we have had some indication that her loyalty is maybe not uh, uh, not for the same reason that uh, the it's others. Not your apart, is that
2: kind of what you're saying?
3: Yeah, like she can just uh, sit down and think through and increase her loyalty. That and I think maybe probably is uh, what's going on there is just thinking about how convenient or instrumental it is for her to be loyal to this uh, uh, conduit to God person uh, so she can get what she wants, right? Uh, I mean, I do believe she cares about him somewhat, but uh, we do have some indication of how ruthless she can be when she needs to. And And I think if it's her choice between June or maybe even herself and like the fate of the world, I doubt she would think twice about it. I mean, she is the something-something uh, existential risk person, after all. Yeah. Right? I feel
2: like you guys have read so much into the existential risk job title she had. Like, you guys have gone so far it. Out, of pr- out of proportion. I feel like she was 15 and had a nepotism job, like an, in- like an intern position and before she got her, like, before she was a full adult. And you guys have decided she is, like, like the head of the
1: CIA. <laughs> If she didn't demonstrate competence that I would associate with the position, I would give that more credence. But I mean, she she did the the high level or I guess the the large number math about what are the odds he would have guessed three of the NTADs, um, you know, based off of randomness and her, her pragmatism and clear thinking. If it was a nepotistic appointment, you know, a legacy hire,
0: then um, at the very least, she was really I think she was probably good at the job. Gorky, didn't you say, maybe I'm remembering incorrectly, but I thought I heard somewhere that you uh, like Amaryllis better than June?
3: June? I like her better than Ben. Uh, I do like her better than June because I don't really like June that much. But that's not, I don't think I remember saying that. Uh-huh. So
0: you <laughs> are having some motivated reasoning here where you're like, yeah, let's let's push June off the edge and focus on the cool character.
3: No, I mean, I would also, I would prefer Fen to June as well. I don't think June is very interesting, aside from the fact that he's the protagonist.
0: Do you think he's gotten better since the beginning of the book, or worse, or just the same?
3: Um, mm, better like how, like a, a more in likable? terms of
0: being interesting or likable, either one.
3: I don't know. I think I feel pretty much the same. I don't think it, that's that's changed really. Okay, I, I feel the grown. same.
1: I feel I feel I feel the same level of like whatever my loyalty to June or whatever, but I think he's yeah. different. He's he's changed as a character.
3: Definitely, yeah,
1: yeah. I don't but like, like him anymore. Yeah, I don't like him anymore or less, but he's different. Like I loved him from the beginning, you know, where he's just like, oh man, what's going on here? Is this you know, like the level of like just. The fuck is happening to me. Um mm-hmm. I really liked his thinking through that. That gets set aside. Now there's other concerns. Um you know, I think that he's he's done a good job uh staying interesting.
0: I remember at the beginning yeah. when he first ran away uh and from the zombies instead of saving the girl, I thought that was like entirely pragmatic and I had no issues with it. <laughs> Did either of you guys think badly of him, or any three of you think think, you know, this
3: made him less likable? No, not at all. Oh. I think that was totally fine. That was the right thing to do. Like, what was he going to do at that point? Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, been
0: more b- about the way he's been treating people?
3: Yeah. Uh, and probably also the Arthur obsession, but mm. don't, don't tell anybody that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm just saying, wouldn't you like uh, for f- uh, Fen to be the protagonist at some point?
0: Oh, man. Oh, that's a low blow.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um... And yet, I don't think you you would have uh, as many good reasons to think that Fenn could be the protagonist, or like he has a chance to become the protagonist.
0: Yeah, if it's anyone, it would probably be Amaryllis.
3: All right, tell me, pitch. Everyone loves
2: their favorite house. House story.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I humbly submit that I think reading a story from Fendt, reading a story of this length from Fen's point of view would be kind of boring. Um, like, you know, Taylor was interesting, but she was not to me, not the most interesting part of worm. And part of that was because (laughs) part of that was because, you know, she, she just had like a lot of self image problems. You know, she, she felt inadequate, relatable. Well, it's, it's relatable, but only relatable for like a hundred pages, not 10,000. And so like, I feel like Fens would just be like a constant, you know, uh, negative self-talk and you know oh man they probably all hate me about this let me try and crack a joke again while that would be an awesome insight and i would love those interlude chapters i I don't i don't think i'd have fun reading a thousand pages about it
0: no i think fens would be entirely like um the the jim butcher series the harry dresden series or maybe like ring world stuff it would be like mostly jokes and madcap adventures and every now and then you see C- cracks and you see peaks into her soul about how she's actually pretty down about everything and kind of hates herself and is really insecure. But then, like you know, she gets over that again and she has to go kick some ass and make jokes and and that kind of thing. So I think it would it would be a, a drastically different story, but it would probably still be fun to read.
1: Maybe I and you know you've read more stuff to compare it to than I have. Like I'm I'm wondering you know like the Val interlude I loved. I think if that was the rest of the story, I'd get bored. Like, okay, she's going to relate everything to Harry Potter. She's going to Hmm. be constantly worried about people liking her and about, you know, how long is an appropriate length for a hug? Like, again, I would that's fun and adorable, but but I don't think that's fun forever. I would read 20 books of Valencia doing that. What does
3: June do? What does June say? June's got
1: cool shit happening to him.
3: He's got even less (laughs) stuff going on. Like personality wise. I like, he's telling the story and the story is interesting, but, uh, he's having less and less of this, uh, the kind of, uh, personality driven, like inner thoughts, like interesting, like Valencias. His I, think personality might is... like, I think Stephen might be straw
2: manning. Like, I think Steven, you might just be picturing like the worst possible version of the alternate books and then saying they suck.
1: That, that's probably true. I think I'm, I'm, I'm being unimaginative about it because Corky, you, you put it, you put the nail on the head, like what is June doing? And I'm like, good question. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I like his jokes. I like I like his sense of humor. Um, his level of analysis. Uh, it it would be interesting reading. You know, like like if if Fen was the player character and had all these god powers, or if it was Val or Amaryllis, those would all be very different stories, and they all might be really really good. Um, and I think I'm just having you know protagonist bias, where I'm like, I like this guy because he's the protagonist. Um, mm-hmm. You right. know, there's it. Th- I I was going to mention just with the Arthur obsession. That it's surprising that he hasn't mentioned the pragmatic benefit that the team's other goals would have if they had Uther Pendrag help. You know,
2: yeah, Uther like, Pendrag takes the Locust bottle, breaks it on the ground. Locust is
1: fine, like he's a <laughs> exactly like the 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 like the, this. The, I think this could solve all of their other problems. Oh, You guys have some uh, some uh, exclusion zones. You guys have to solve well. You know, I've I've handled a fair number of those in my day. Give me just twenty minutes and let me grab my my slaying sword and we'll we'll go go take care of this. Like he hasn't made one pragmatic argument to the team about how useful it would be to have this guy on their side.
2: I think if Uther Pendrag gets his hammer that pushed the hells away, and he hits the locust bottle, and he pushes the locust bottle into and it takes over the hells. That's my pitch. Okay.
0: <laughs>
3: <What>? <laughs> you know, also another thing with June is that He's been mentally enhanced at this point. But you remember back at the beginning, uh, he was all about how uh, constantly self-conscious about having a penis and being attracted to girls and constantly apologetic about it. Yeah. So if you're imagining, like, if you took that, if you read that bit and you, and you extrapolated what the story was going to be, uh, you might imagine something like what you imagine with Valencia, where that's just the whole story. But it turned out not to be that way, because like, yeah, because June out of
2: changed. So you should also be expecting exactly. in your other alternate universes where there's a Valencia book that Valencia changes over the course of the book, or Fen changes over the course of the book.
1: You make uh, absolutely compelling points, and that's a really um, I am I don't know what I don't know what to say. Yeah, I, I think you guys are right. That's <laughs> that's really a fun way to think about it. I mean,
2: on the original it, topic, though. I, I, I think Amaryllis should have her... I think the whole, like, oh, should Amaryllis take over? Which is the, the, the big, gorky, big question. Uh, I think sh- as she moves back and farther back into logistics, which has been her, her trajectory, I think she can have her own book, but it's going to be a very different book. June's book is going to be running around toppling nations and uh, killing dragons and whatever the hell he wants to do. He's right. a fantasy protagonist. And her, like, think- thing is going to be in the back room, like, like making back room deals like, it might be interesting, like, but it's going to be like statecraft and, state it, and uh, engineering.
3: And then we're going to think, oh, these used to be about dungeons. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I hope that's the sequel
1: uh, or whatever the the next project is about. Um, yeah. you, Gorky, you mentioned that June has changed. He's, I think he said it has had mental enhancements. And that's something I, I'm glad you reminded me or reminded draw my attention to, because that was such a cool thing. He And the author got to do that by having the character put points in knowledge and wisdom. So suddenly we have a character who's smarter and wiser than he was just two pages ago. And it shows up in subtle ways, but ways that you absolutely can notice once, you know, if, if you were to like go back earlier in the book to later, right. Uh, I, right. I don't have, I don't have much to, to extrapolate from that other than just to shine a light on what a cool, uh, like a awesome ability for an author to be able to do that, to write a character who can adjust that way. He does similar with Val where, you know, when she subsumes a devil, her personality seamlessly shifts in a way that like, isn't really jarring because it feels like it's flowing naturally. And yet it's night and day. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's also
3: cool. Oh, sorry.
1: I was going to say just like a plus writing and a fun, um, mechanic for the author to be able to do that. Right. Let me have him dump another point in wisdom. (laughs) (laughs)
3: it's also cool how he avoided the whole issue of actually having to write a significantly like inhumanly smart character by making it so that the game didn't allow him to actually put uh, more points into mental that actually modify his thinking instead uh, they're going to like inject intelligence when it's necessary. So he sidestepped that whole issue. (laughs) I thought that was also pretty clever.
0: Yeah, that was cool. And also a great way to like really bring to our attention that it's a simulation that 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 they're in, <laughs> or or at least I guess if you take Griffin's interpretation that there's a, a computer overlay on June. Right. Well, we have been going for close to three hours. Yeah,
1: some of that got lost in the in the shuffle with some tech issues, so the episode won't be quite that long, but that's fine. What do you want? Well, uh, I'm mindful of the time zone difference, so I want to be respectful of, of, you know, I'm also, you know, between jobs right now, so I don't start my work for another 10 days. Um, yeah. You know, I want I want to at least point for a minute just because you guys are working on a really cool project that if anyone, you know, if you don't have the time to do it right now, that's fine, but do make a note to, to, to go back and listen to this, and doing it live is a lot of fun. Um, the Zorian, the character from... Uh,
3: Mother um, of learning,
1: mother of learning is he? I don't know. I I guess I thought I had some quick thoughts on this, but I really don't. It's is he growing it's on def- you. I mean, he's growing on me because he's he's becoming a, little, a bit nicer and a bit more conscientious. Um, he was such a dick at the beginning. It yeah, he was remarkably just like off putting, but in a way that like I I knew it was intentional. <laughs> you know, nobody nobody could write a character that that self like I don't know, woe is me, whatever. What? without without knowing what they're doing so i knew i knew that that was on purpose but i i guess i was just thinking about the writing style because you know june's life here on arab at least earlier on he wasn't sure what kind of stakes there were you know then he saw that uh he was playing diamond hardcore iron man mode um so he's like okay there's some sort of stakes but at the same time it's like all right well i'm gonna kill some people and you might not feel bad about it because they're npcs right and zorian's situation being in a groundhog Day. Uh, scenario if he wanted to go on a killing rampage you know it's like there aren't really consequences to it because he's in a groundhog day um or a time loop I, I i like just calling them groundhog days even if it's a groundhog month um it's you know i i guess it's just two different ways of writing characters that can be involved in scenarios where like their actions might not really matter i don't know i maybe it's getting late but uh, if it's getting late for me, <laughs> it's getting late for you guys, or especially for for Gorky. You're on Eastern Time Zone, right? Yeah, it's uh,
3: 11 p.m.
1: Okay. Well, I, I had a lot of fun talking to you guys. I don't know what else to say coherently other than this was great, and I'd love to do it again. But, I had a lot of
3: fun too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, then we
0: get wanted, to, uh sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I wanted to make sure, like before we before we called it or anything, that you guys did you have any like thoughts or other things that you wanted to get on that we didn't touch on because uh, I I know we dominated a lot of the conversation.
3: Oh, well, that's fine. It's your podcast after
0: all.
1: Not this episode. <laughs> uh-huh. <clears throat> I think I said
2: all the things I wanted to say, and I had a lot of fun as well. And while you're on the air, I can pressure you and say, uh, if we do, we'll probably do some retrospective episodes of our own. Do we have your guys's?
0: Uh, you guys will come on ours. Oh shit! I got to keep up to date with the chapters.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I- I'd be excited too. That sounds awesome. Um, Stephen
3: already pretty much confirmed uh, he was gonna be on he's picked a soundtrack
0: <laughs>
1: yeah oh yeah that's right yeah i've got <laughs> when when we, we do that one and then yeah i've got the the soundtrack picked out for it um yeah that's that sounds great i uh i don't know i guess yeah just i want to plug that again check it out um i guess if we are wrapping up then yeah you know do check out alexander Wales' web serial worth the candle um we, you know what chapters are we reading next week
0: Next week we are reading four chapters again uh one o five through one oh eight those are right, yeah. what the,
3: the, the next chapter is a notes chapter come on
0: yeah well yes nine oh, come on the next chapter is a notes chapter, but first of all, you know stephen he's gonna <laughs> have a lot of things notes on these notes anyway, but also like then the next three chapters after that are uh there's a lot that happens in them uh, I think so okay. okay. Yeah, I think it'll be good. I can't uh, do. No, I, can I speak do for two. Wes uh, here when I say go to one hundred
3: nine.
0: Go to what? One hundred nine. One hundred nine. Oh, oh, well, I mean, you speak to everyone when you say go to one hundred nine. Okay, so for what it's worth, as long as we're this is up for discussion, I will.
1: I'll just have you know that I did read part of one hundred five, the notes one, because we we talked about it last week. That's it's not like plot that it didn't count as reading ahead. Um, I took the most base notes like i you know there's a lot to say about them if i wanted to dig into stuff but i'm not inclined to yet so we can kind of take that as a as a you know 10 minute summary if we want so if we did do that would there be time to go to 109 give the give the folks a bonus chapter or if you think not (laughs) it's your fucking
0: (laughs) you're you're driving you know no one gets to tell you what to do so (laughs) that darn tootin also, I really like where 108 ends, and, and I've kind of mapped out some path, and like, you're about to screw it all up, you jerks. <laughs> right, you heard him, folks. But, pressure, but, sorry, pressure, pressure. The, the pilot has charted <laughs> a course West, for try. us. <laughs> so we, we are going to be reading through 108, <laughs> and that makes the chapters 105, Notes, 106, The One Hand Warder, 107, Name of the Beast, and 108, The Dream That Skewers fun on a bun. Nice. Gorky, I usually speculate ah. about the title
3: chapters. Do you have any guesses? I think uh, the dream that skewers is about being dream skewered. <laughs> I think the one-headed warder <laughs> might be about Grek. <laughs> it, oh,
2: all right.
1: Then, then I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say the name of the beast. Uh, I don't think this is the interpretation of it, but a fun one would be uh, we've turned the six-eyed doe into a human and it gives us its name. That would be Ooh.
3: fun. I thought you were going to say notes was going to be
0: notes. (laughs) 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 All righty. Well, that is what we have coming up for you guys. We'll see you all back here in one week. And again, Griffin and Gorky, thank you for joining us. Check out their podcast, Shaping Exercises. I'm glad that Gorky and and,
1: uh, Griffin were available to join us for it this week. I had a lot of fun with talking to you guys. Once again, just thanks again.
0: We'll see you all in a week. Bye.